get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. No Danny Mac today. He has a prior engagement and is not with us today, but will be with us tomorrow on Friday morning. Usually here, Michelle, on Thursday, but not today. Yeah, we love having Danny Mac on Thursdays and Fridays, but he's the busiest guy in St. Louis. He's got a lot going on. He's always got something happening. Even on his off day, (laughs) he'll be working. Yeah, he never has an off day. It's 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. The NHL free agency started yesterday. MLB's trading deadline is tomorrow, and it appears that your Cardinals and Blues are just going to stand pat. Not for a lack of effort, I'm sure, but they're just standing pat. Some fans probably get more upset over that than they do over losing because we as fans, we love transactions. We We love acquiring players. We love the movement of it all. It's what makes sports, especially this time of year, exciting. And I wonder, do you think Cardinals fans are more upset or Blues fans are more upset over the lack of movement? I would say Cardinal fans, and they would have liked for something to have happened earlier, although action didn't really start until the last week when Adam Frazier and Rich Hill got moved. So the Cardinals would have had to be very aggressive. And I think if the Cardinals would have made the moves that fans would have wanted in June Mm -hmm. and given up Libertor and Gorman, I think fans would have been upset by that, too. I I think the Cardinals were probably in somewhat of a no-win situation in trying to get what they needed. And now what you need is a guy like Jack Flaherty, who I think, by the way, should start Sunday. And the Cardinals might get to 83 wins if they have Flaherty for the last two months of the season. But after yesterday's 7-2 loss to the Indians, Michelle... They're nine games behind Milwaukee. Milwaukee acquired Eduardo Escobar last night for their offense. Cardinals are two games behind the Reds in the division. They aren't going to be a wild card team. And it, in my opinion, and it's not like top prospects get traded at the deadline anyway, but in my opinion, it would be foolish of the Cardinals to basically waste prospects and from their perspective, probably waste money on a fruitless endeavor. Yeah, I'm sure that they've taken a long, hard look in the mirror. They realize that's not going to happen this season and that they're better off gearing up towards next season and seeing how this season plays out because your needs, as you sit here right now approaching the trade deadline, may change by the end of the season. And I do think the Cardinals are likely very cautious about young prospects that they're going to deal based on what's happened over the past couple of seasons. Yep, and you have needs that you think you have right now. And now you might need a third baseman. Although you could have Matt Carpenter play, but yesterday Nolan Arenado gets hit in the arm by a pitch and had to leave the game. Mike Schilt after the contest. Yeah, I mean, thankfully it looks like um, it got mostly meat. So uh, obviously off day tomorrow will help. He'll get treatment. Uh, spoke with him after the game. He's optimistic that um, 
he'll be in there when we get back and start playing again on Friday in St. Louis. But, um, you know, got him pretty good. Had a kind of more of a stinger. Didn't have as much feel for his, um, in his hands, shaking a little bit. So didn't want to justify him trying to go out and play defense. And um, hopefully be ready to go on Friday. Just meet. Was, I'm sure everybody in St. Louis, when they heard Mike Schultz say that yesterday, grabbed that certain part of your arm. <laughs> because we all yeah. know exactly what he's talking about <laughs> when he says mostly meat, that little underbelly part of your arm. But, Randy, don't say that the Cardinals may need to get a third baseman. Don't you put that evil on us. It's mostly meat. It's just a contusion. It's just, just a little bruise. He's okay. going to be fine. He, he's got, like, uh, baseball laces. He, he's got the, the stitching from a baseball in his right arm now. That's... But the question is, is does Nolan Arenado even have any meat on his arms? Probably not. Those guys, it's all muscle, so it probably yeah. hurts more. The contusion is probably, it, it's uh, probably going to take longer to heal, I would imagine, because it's muscle and not that meat there that we all have. Yeah. Hey, I want to know this, and you can text to 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line. It happened 10 years ago. Do you still buy into what happened as 2011 as something other than just a complete freak and something that will never happen again. The fact that the Cardinals were ten and a half out in September. I have no confidence that this team that's nine games out can come back. And I, I had no confidence in that team coming back either. I do believe that at times the Cardinals get hung up on that. Oh, well, we came back in 2011. It can happen again. But it's only happened once in 150 years of baseball. So my question to you, Michelle, is do you believe that that could ever happen again? No, and I'm certainly not if I'm in charge building my team in the hopes that it will happen again. Things like that are so rare. What do we say about a team like that? It's a team of destiny. We mm-hmm. we put it up to the the universe or the greater good or, or something outside of our control because it's so rare that something like that happens. We assign it to destiny rather than a team that's so skilled that they earned it, even though the, they did earn it. But no, I don't think that that'll ever happen again. But I never thought that the Blues would go on the ride that they did either when the Blues were in dead last place. And Tom Stillman sat right next to me where I'm sitting right now and said, I believe in this team. They have a chance. I didn't think that could happen either. But again, I don't want to put stock in that to happen. I don't want that to be the game plan moving forward. And I think rational observers, I feel like I'm rational. You look at what has ailed this team throughout the course of the season and missing at times 80% of their starting rotation, losing your opening day closer in Jordan Hicks, not getting production from your outfield until the whole group until after the all-star break, not getting production from your shortstop, the production of your catcher and second baseman dwindling. Goldschmidt hasn't been what you've expected. or So I think at the beginning of the season, you had greater expectations for what has been delivered by your players and I just think that this Cardinal team, if they get Flaherty back, if they go 82 and 80 based on everything that's happened to them, mm-hmm. that'll be a successful season for them, for th- for this particular group. Will it be satisfying? No. But will it be a success based on everything that has transpired within the organization? Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of circumstances out of their controls and injuries, most notably. But the fan base isn't going to swallow that easily. No. They just aren't. No, they're spending a bunch of money on tickets. They're watching the games on TV. They have expectations because the franchise has been good now, really good since 2000. And the standard here is, at the very least, to make the playoffs for some people. If they don't win the World Series, it's a failure. So if they go 82 and 80, that will be an abject disaster for a lot of people. That'll cause people to jump off the bandwagon. How about this text from the 217? You asked if people believe in a 2011-type yeah. run again. 
From the 217, good morning, guys. Unfortunately, I don't buy into this team to pull a 2011-like run. The production and pitching hasn't been there all year, and they need more consistency. They do. Yeah, they need to be better. There's things that they need to do, and I know there's people that have bought into, for example, Paul DeYoung being hot. I, I don't. I I still think that they need a middle infielder that they can lead off, whether it's a second baseman or a shortstop. They obviously are going to need another reliable starting pitcher. Where that comes from, I have no idea. But next year, they're going to need that. I'm focused on 2022 right now. And yes, you'll get Hudson back. But Flaherty is a question mark. He hasn't pitched for two months. Hudson will be a question mark. We don't know if Wayno and KK are going to be back. We're going to have questions about Alex Reyes heading into next season. We're going to have questions about Michaelis. So they need at least one stable, reliable starting pitcher to enter the mix heading into next season. Yeah, absolutely. And I I unfortunately think that even though they seem like a much improved team in the second half, that they put themselves in such a hole in the first half, not only because of injuries, but June was abysmal. The lack of production and what we saw out of this team in June, they dug themselves into such a hole that the, the margin for error was basically zero heading into the second half and everything else externally had to fall their way for them to even get into this position. And so I think a lot of fans will realistically look at the injuries, but they're also going to look back at the month of June and a lot of self-inflicted wounds from this team. Well, you have to look at the starting eight, especially, and not just look at what's happened since the All-Star break. And there's been a couple of weeks since the All-Star break, but you're going to the Cardinals. It's incumbent upon the Cardinals, not us, to look at 162 games and ask themselves if their coaching staff has gotten the most out of the players. If you're going to make a $165 million investment, like the Cardinals have with their payroll, which is 10th in Major League Baseball, have the people in charge of getting the most out of those players gotten the most out of those players? Or do changes need to be be made to maximize the investment that the Cardinals have made in those players? But do you see that happening? I think there's got to be some self-reflection. And I think that's something that Certainly, Bill DeWitt has to go to his front office and say, his question every day is, what's our competitive advantage? If Whitey Herzog got the most out of his players. Tony LaRusso got the most out of his players. Even though he had a limited group, Joe Torre got the most out of his players. Cardinals have a history of managers who have gotten the most out of their guys. And Bill DeWitt has to go to his front office and say, okay, I've been around baseball a long time. You guys are around the modern game. Is this the most that we can get out of these players? Is it, that's the question he has to ask his front office. And then if they say yes, then a whole lot of other questions wind up falling on the table. The one thing I'll say about the Cardinals is they have patience as an organization that many other organizations lack. Sometimes I think they might be too patient with things. Mm-hmm. And when they invest in something, whether it's a player or a coach or an approach or an idea, they seem to dig in for a long time. A lot of people thought Mike Matheny, that that experiment ran its course far before he got fired, but the Cardinals hung on for a long time. So even if they don't think that whichever facet of the coaching staff is extracting the most out of these players, I don't see the Cardinals pulling the plug on something. Look at how much they, well, they doubled down on De- Jeff Albert right. and the high-level curriculum, even when the, the results weren't there for years. Right, and that's the thing. They'll rational. That's why I say they've got to look at the, the six-month body of work and not just the post-All-Star break body of work because they need to look at the things that went wrong in addition to the things that went right. Meanwhile, tomorrow is the trade deadline. The Yankees finalizing a deal for Joey Gallo of the Rangers. They're going to send four prospects, none from their top 30, uh, to the Rangers in exchange for Gallo. Jeff Passan of ESPN, what are the Yankees getting here? Power, great defense, 
and he walks a lot and gets on base. Those are the three things that you're getting with Joey Gallo. And I understand there are going to be some people who look at this trade and say, we have a bunch of guys who hit for power and don't hit for average. No, Joey Gallo's a star. And with that short porch in right field yeah. at Yankee Stadium, there's such a right-handed heavy lineup that getting a lefty in there, once this deal goes through medicals and is made official, is going to be a huge boon to this team that's trying to get out of the doldrums that it was in seemingly for the first 100 games of the season and reestablished itself in an American League East that already has a great team in Tampa Bay and already has another great team in yeah. Boston. They're looking to be the third great team. Jeff Passan of ESPN. Michelle, I think that they're in much of the same situation as the Cardinals. Their problem is starting pitching. Mm-hmm. But they do need power. They were in yeah. a bit of an identity crisis, and Joey Gallo will certainly provide that for them. I also saw a tweet this morning, Randy, from John Heyman that says, even after Gallo, the Yankees still see room for Trevor Story. Yeah, that makes sense for them. Now, I would guess because they've just been abysmal at first base, my guess would be they would move LeMayhew to first, Glaber Torres to, and they've talked about Story in center field. I'm not buying that. Move Torres to second and then have Story move in at shortstop. That would be the most sensible move for the Yankees. Don't you like a trade deadline where the Yankees are active? Yeah, and they do have and know they have a responsibility to their fans. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference when your revenues are $600 million as opposed to $200 million. And your revenues are $200 million and you're spending 165 on your payroll. The Yankees because of what New York spends on them from a corporate standpoint, from a a television standpoint, from a ticket standpoint, they do have an absolute responsibility to their fans, and their team wasn't good enough. If the Cardinals get Joey Gallo right now, the way, and he's been, he's at 24 home runs this year, but I don't know if Joey Gallo is, you play him above Dylan Carlson, but the Cardinals are looking ahead to the future. I don't know that they get Joey Gallo as a future piece. Also, I I don't think that they would play him. I don't think that he's on the radar because I don't think they would want to remove Dylan Carlson from the equation because getting him this playing time and this seasoning is part of the bigger plan. Right. And the Brewers go out and, and they enhance their offense by getting Eduardo Escobar from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks will get a couple of minor leaguers, uh, an outfielder and an infielder, and that just strengthens what... The Brewers are. They're going to win this division. And the A's, in Kim Eng's first huge deal for the Marlins, she trades Starling Marte, who is going to be a free agent at the end of the season, and cash considerations, the Marlins are going to pay Marte, for Jesus Lazardo of the A's, a 23-year-old left-hander who can be a front-of-the-rotation guy. If you have, if they get Sixto uh, Sanchez back, and they have Alcantara, and now they add Jesus Lazardo to that, that can be a pretty formidable 1-2-3 for the Marlins in the future. I still keep looking at all of this news, and I'm thinking, where is the headline about the Cubs? It, they've got a couple of days. And by the way, the Rays and the A's, apparently, both teams that were interested or are interested in Chris Bryant. So... Things will happen. Jed Hoyer's, he, he's not going to not make a move, is he? Oh, no, no. no. They're, they're making some moves. Yeah. I just keep waiting for those dominoes yeah. to fall. And speaking of not making moves, the Blues did not make one yesterday. Start a free agency. Jaden Schwartz, as we talked about yesterday, signs with Seattle. He actually gets more money than he was getting here in his last contract. Mike Hoffman goes to the Montreal Canadiens, three years, four and a half million. I can guarantee you this, though. On opening night, the Blues will have 12 forwards, six defensemen, and a goalie available, uh, two goalies available to them. That will happen. You heard it here first. Yep. Randy Carricker confirming. 
But it's a bulletin, apparently official. <laughs> That's Michelle. I'm Randy. We're off and running here on 101 ESPN. And coming up, we've got a little game of Sick of It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Sick of It coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> to the program. You might not know why we do sick of it on Thursday morning, but during the basketball season, Bradley Beal, St. Louis, and one of our favorites of the Washington Wizards, his team was kind of scuffling, and he put up 47 and his team still lost by double digits. And his wife went on the Insta, right? After, or was it on the Twitter? She's on social media. She's on social media. And she just uh, gave us three simple, short, pithy words. Sick of it, or (laughs) as you say it, Sick of it. So one of those things. So whatever you're sick of, you can feel free to uh, weigh in with your text 65780. Uh, Michelle, quarterback drama in the NFL. I know that we get a lot of mileage out of it on uh, the mothership. Yes, we do. With Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson over the course of the offseason and more. But I'm sick of it. I don't need quarterback drama. I need quarterbacks to get in there and play and throw touchdown passes. I don't need drama. It's not a soap opera for me. I love a good quarterback drama. Maybe it's because I did work at the network and that getting Aaron Rodgers to tell you that he's not going to play and he wants out of Green Bay is like a big gift on Christmas morning for producers (laughs) in Bristol. And you want to know why? Because people care about it. It moves the needle. People tune in to see what happens to Aaron Rodgers because football runs America and quarterbacks are their most important currency in American sports. A a franchise quarterback moves the needle. So maybe that's why I enjoy it because I'm always a producer. That, That little thing never leaves the back of your mind where you think I could get some mileage out of this storyline drama drama Uh, but I'm with you at some point though it does get frustrating and at some point I mean the Aaron Rodgers thing was good for a while and then it picked up once he was supposed to report for training camp but there was a good three to four week stretch in the middle there where I thought come on are we still really talking about this nothing's happened nothing's happened my preference is Carson Wentz type drama where he gets traded and we don't hear about it again if we're going to have drama, have it for two weeks, have him get traded, and let's finish it off. Oh. Or even the, the Matthew Stafford drama. That's the kind of quarterback drama that I like to see, where we never hear about it until he gets dealt. So you like transactional quarterback yeah, drama. Yeah, exactly. See, I loved the stuff coming out of Philly and doing the, the blame pie. Yeah. Who was oh, to fun. blame? Was it Carson Wentz? Was it the front office? Was it Doug Peterson? There, There's all sorts of stuff that comes out of that where you can interpret it for yourself because everybody in it has a different opinion and they're all going to point the finger at somebody else. I love stuff like that. And whether there is drama or not, the fact exists that first take exists. So there will be manufactured quarterback drama either way. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> They're going to find a way. And and you also have to remember, it's the offseason. So, of course, we're yeah. going to do stuff like this. And the NFL and whatever quarterback has a bad game or an awesome game mm-hmm. will be leading first take here in a matter of a, a month, month and a half. Uh, no, I guess a month. We're almost at August. I'm yeah. sick of that, Randy. I'm sick of the fact that we're almost at August. Summer always flies by, but it seems like this summer in particular, maybe it's because, I don't know, we had a global pandemic and we didn't really do much for over a year. This summer has gone by in the blink of an eye. I feel like I haven't had a chance to do nearly the amount of things that I wanted to do because I think everyone's summer calendar was basically booked by April. Right. 
Yeah. We were all we all had a lot of plans that we had to make up for, and it felt like this summer's flying by. I'm so bummed that it's almost August. Yeah, we started working on our Hall of Fame trip in April. Yeah. And it, we fly a week from today to Canton to uh, help usher Isaac Bruce into the Hall of Fame. I can't believe that it's almost here, and I'm so excited for that moment, and I'm so excited for us to bring it to the people of St. Louis because this might be, we're hoping that Tori gets in, mm-hmm. but the last, if not the second to last real celebratory NFL moment we have in St. Louis. Right, we aren't going to celebrate the NFL after Tori Holt hopefully gets into the Hall of Fame. That's right. All right, your tech 65780. Emily, what do you have for us? From the 618, I'm sick of Blues fans not trusting Army and being upset we didn't sign free agents. Remember in 2018 when we traded for O'Reilly the day after free agency started? Everyone needs to pull in Aaron Rodgers and... Five letters here, just for everybody out there in Packerland and yourself today. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. I hope so. I have faith in Army as well. It's just that we have a different looking team now. We, We had a Stanley Cup champion two years ago. And I get why people are questioning the moves, but they're getting a lot younger. And the fact of the matter is, Michelle, once they sign their restricted free agents, they'll have about $3 million left under the cap so they can go out and maybe find a a depth defenseman or a fourth-line guy. But there isn't, once they made the trade for Bushnevich, there wasn't a big move to be made. They've got their top six now. They do. And it's not like Army has sat by and done nothing. He did go out and acquire Buchnevich. He has been trying to move Vladimir Tarasenko to no avail thus far. But I do think I still stand firmly in the camp of an Army we trust because I know that Doug Armstrong is relentless in his pursuit to put together the best possible team. And I know that he is making every phone call possible and trying to concoct every possible deal that we that he can. And I know that sometimes a move that he has made might not look like a big deal, but then we see it come to fruition later. Sometimes you need to let these things breathe. And Doug Armstrong has enough of a track record that I still fully believe in him. Your opening night third line might be Oscar Sundquist. Hopefully he comes back from the ACL with Vladimir Tarasenko and Clem Costin. Could happen. Also that cut of Aaron Rodgers. He says relax when he says X and he lets it breathe. He did that so dramatically. Yeah. Very well He's done. A dramatic guy. Very well done, Aaron. From the 636, I went to the I went to Cleveland to see the Cardinals game, and I'm really sick of being in the Eastern time zone. Oh yeah, for sure. I lived in the Eastern time zone. It's the pits. Central is best for sure. Central is the best. But one thing about the Pacific time zone, now granted, you have games that start at nine in the morning. Pacific time zone, but most of the games happen at night. And by the way, the NFL or college football is kind of a hassle on the West Coast, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. But everything's over by 10. That's right. It's done. Yeah. Whereas on the East Coast, you're staying up late to watch games. Right. If you're watching a West Coast game on the East Coast, it's starting many times at 1030 your time. I'll never forget watching game seven of the World Series the year that the Cubs won and they had the rain delay and I was on the East Coast. I was working for the mothership at the time and I was so tired. But of course, (laughs) you have to stay up and watch a because are the Cubs going to win the World Series and B because it's my job to watch and Mm -hmm. curate the show based on what happens. But I remember thinking it's I think it was already 11 at that point. And then the rain delay starts and you're thinking, come on, can we just have the game end? 
And that's terrible to be thinking when it's one of the biggest sports moments that ha- that's happened in 100 years. That Jason comes- Hayward's speech. That's right. But it stinks when you're on the East Coast and you're counting the hours until you have to wake up the next <laughs> right. morning. Yeah, you know if you're watching a Cardinals game, you're not going to bed till 1 o'clock if you're on the East Coast. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Right. It stinks. From the 314, sick of Mike Schilt. He is a minor league manager. The Cardinals need a manager with more intensity and fire. Yachty or Skip Schumacher? I don't know that that's really what wins for you. I look at Dave Roberts. He's got the best record in baseball over the last half dozen years. I don't see a whole lot of fire from him. I look at Joe Torre, who won five World Series, right? Four. But went to the World Series six times. He really wouldn't. He, he sat there with Don Zimmer and talked to Don Zimmer. Actually, I, I think that having a fiery manager that like Aaron Boone at the moment... That, that guy is a negative. What you want, as far as I'm concerned, it's kind of like you want in a, in a boss, any boss. You want a guy that's level-headed, that mm-hmm. doesn't get too high or too low. Especially in baseball when it's such a long season. Yeah. I do think Mike Schilt does have fire and intensity. We've seen that at times. He picks his spots. And I think what we see as the media and as fans is not what the players see behind closed doors right. all the time. And part of that is, by the way, that the front office is putting together lineups and basically instituting a philosophy about running or not running, about how the game is played. Managers don't manage as much as they used to. That's a good point. From the 618, I'm sick of Cardinal fans crying about a losing season. The team has been great for over 20 years. They will be fine. Get over it. But this, if they do have a losing season, this would be Moe's first as general manager. Last time the Cardinals had a losing season was 2007 in Walt Jockety's last year as GM. I put that into perspective, right? Yeah. We get upset about this season, but they haven't had a lo- losing season in Moe's tenure. Yeah. A lot. How many fan bases can say that? How long has Moe been the GM? 13 years. 13 years. How many fan bases in baseball can say that they haven't had a losing season in 13 years? Us and the Yankees. Well, I, I can give you this one. Since 1990, so we're we're in 2021. So in the last 21 years, every single National League team has finished with the worst record in the league. All right? Every single one has finished with the worst record in the league, except for the St. Louis Cardinals, whose last time finishing with the worst record in the league was 1918. 1918. Yeah. It's been a minute. We weren't around. No, we definitely we weren't. missed out on that. Uh which is, is a blessing and a curse because when you're not used to losing or you're not conditioned to be patient when a team has to pick itself up from its bootstraps, the expectations go through the roof. Yeah, there are organizational expectations that are probably outsized here because nobody wins every year. If if you could win every year, wouldn't the Dodgers win every year? Yeah, or the Yankees. Yeah, because they spend far and away the most money. They have the most resources. But not even they can win every year. Sometimes even the Miami Marlins are in their time. The Florida Marlins win the World Series. Emily, thank you very much. Thank you. Jeremy Rutherford has an interesting piece up at The Athletic this morning about Vladimir Tarasenko and where his value stands. We'll talk about that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> At the Character Household, they're watching the Olympics. And so if you don't want to know what's happening with gymnastics after three events, then uh, earmuffs for the moment. Okay, yeah, earmuffs now. Ten seconds. 
USA's Suni Lee in first place in the women's all-around. After three events, she has one event to go, the floor exercise. Oh, yeah, girl. So, could happen. Were you watching the Olympics last night? I was. Did you see the piece that NBC did on Suni Lee and her dad? Yeah, that was great, wasn't it? I had I had read about it before and seen pieces on it before because I did a lot of research on the team in advance of the trials. But anytime I see that story about her dad and what he went through and how mentally tough she had to be to go compete after her dad for those who don't know her dad fell off of a tree and had a very bad accident and this was right before she was supposed to go to a big competition and he told her you've worked so hard you need to go compete and she had seen him in the hospital right before she left she went and she was able to compete but he's in a wheelchair now and they are best friends and he's her biggest cheerleader and I just love watching those stories and I'm cheering for her there's so many great stories on this U.S. women's gymnastics team aside from some Right, easy to root for. Exactly. If you didn't get to see The Athletic overnight, you might want to check it out. Our Blues Insider from The Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford, has an interesting piece up about Vladimir Tarasenko and his situation from the Blues. And J.R. writes at the top of the story, it's been rather quiet on the Vladimir Tarasenko trade front. Too quiet, a league source who's close to the situation told The Athletic on Wednesday. The source said emphatically that Tarasenko should have been traded by now. Sounds like somebody wants him. And that the Blues (laughs) are only further diminishing his value by hanging on to him this long. The trajectory doesn't get any better. The source said they did a number two on this guy to their own detriment. It's time to move him. The train has left the station. Michelle, I would suggest that, uh, and Joey Vitale made this point last week on our air. Jonathan Drouin demanded a trade. He was out of Tampa and Steve Eiserman waited a year before moving him and Drouin played and then they wound up getting a draft pick. Uh, I, It's my understanding that in the fall of 2018, Braden Shen asked for a trade from the Blues, didn't get traded, wound up signing an eight-year contract mm-hmm. and is still a member of the Blues. And like Doug Armstrong says, there are a lot of players that request trades and don't wind up getting traded. And Army said last week uh, when he first, for the first time and only time, talked about the possibility of a Tarasenko trade, he said this might not happen quickly. Oh, no, I, I see there's there's certainly a... a an outlook where I, where I envision him putting on the uh, the jersey again. Uh, you know, there's there's many players in the NHL that that have requested trades. Uh, you know, you always try and keep it below below the surface. Uh, but our our responsibility is to do what's best for the St. Louis Blues, and if it means that that he comes back and and uh, plays for us, that's that that's the outlook that it has. But uh, again, we're we're. My my responsibilities to the franchise and do what's best for best for Vlad, or best for the Blues and hopefully best for Vladdy. And I'm looking around at free agency now and seeing the money that teams spent yesterday, and there are a limited number of teams that would have the cap space and the need for Vladimir Tarasenko. And based upon his behavior, I just I know that the Islanders say they need a goal scorer. But I don't see Lou Lamorello and Barry Trotz necessarily being Vladimir Tarasenko guys. Are the Devils close enough? Yeah, they went out and spent a bunch of money on Dougie Hamilton. That'd be wonderful if they if you could get something from New Jersey and they would take on Vladimir Tarasenko's salary. But those other teams are thinking, well, the Blues have to get rid of him. So they're thinking that the Blues are desperate to get rid of him. I don't think Armstrong gets desperate. I don't think Armstrong gets desperate either. That doesn't seem like it's in his DNA to make a desperate move. But when I read JR's piece, and again, you should really read this at The Athletic, JR is always so locked into the latest news with the Blues. 
It's not that Vladdy requested a trade and hasn't been moved yet because that happens in sports all the time. Look at what we just talked about with Aaron Rodgers in the NFL, Russell Wilson. We've seen many times where players are unhappy with their situation. They ask for a trade and they have to come back to their original team because it can't get done. To me, the bigger issue is not that Vladdy wanted a trade or the Blues wanted to move him. It's that what he thinks he's worth, he and his camp, and what the Blues are asking for him is not his current value. He's getting paid like he is a star player, but as of right now and as of the the most recent sample size we have, he has not been a star player. And I think Vladimir Tarasenko and his camp, when they initially asked for the trade, they were looking at this thinking that other teams were going to view him as the 30-plus goal scorer that he once was. And that is not reality. And I think this has been a big dose of reality on both sides. I think Vladdy and his agent and his camp are probably looking around thinking, this is Vladimir Tarasenko. He should have been moved by now. And I think Doug Armstrong's been picking up the phone and trying to get a deal done, asking for a certain return for Vladdy. And he's not. he's been met with resistance because what team wants to absorb that money for a player who's been injured, who hasn't been producing for the past couple years, and has, from all these reports that have come out, questioned the medical yep. staff of the Blues and has been unhappy internally? That is a big ask for any team to take on. And let's add on despite the fact that he has scored a lot of goals and he's been a star player. He was on the cover of the NHL's video game in, in 2017. But the fact of the matter is there are a lot of former Blues coaches and players around this league who, off the record, would say, he doesn't play within the system. We never know where he's going to be on the ice. He scores goals. He's a really talented guy. But if you want to play a system like Barry Trotz does, and you talk to somebody who used to be with the Blues, if you talk to Ken Hitchcock or Mike Yo or Alex Petrangelo or uh, Pat Maroon, those guys all know. Everybody knows. It's not in, like a secret in the league. If you, if you want to enhance your value, you do what the rest of the team does. And that's not something that historically, at least according to people I've talked to with that organization, that he has done. And you're right, people in the league talk and yeah. people that know Vladdy. The ice is talking, Michelle. The ice is always talking, Randy. There's always some news coming out of the ice. But you're right. Of course, if Vladimir Tarasenko is available and an organization might have some interest, they're going to reach out to people that they know who know him best, who've played with him or who have coached him or who have been in the Blues organization for a long time, and they might get that same feedback. And when you're going to spend $7.5 million on a player, if he's injured and used to be a very productive star and you want to gamble on him, you certainly want to make sure that he's going to be malleable and fit into your system. You want to make sure that he brings a certain level of leadership and cachet to your dressing room and if you can't count on any of those things why would you want to roll the dice on that so if you are the blues what you do is you go to vladdy and say look we know you want to be traded and we want to trade you but we can't trade you under the current circumstances so what we need you to do is show up as at least act like a happy camper Play within the system, be productive for October and November, and we'll try to trade you in December. And we're going to do everything we can to get you the hell out of here because you don't want to be here and we don't want you here. But we can't trade you right now. There's nothing that we can do. And maybe things will change. Maybe he'll get happier. Maybe they'll get happier with him over the course of two and a half months. But the Blues are going to need money for the pursuit of Matthew Kachuk anyway. That's right. So they they are better served by moving Tarasenko, but they are not at all served 
by doing a Colorado Rockies and paying a bunch of his salary for him to not play for them. And what's the very last thing Doug Armstrong said in that cut that we just played? That he's going to do what's in the best interest for the Blues and mm-hmm. hopefully Vladdy. That's the second part of that. The Blues side of this comes first and he's not going to just throw away money and pay him to go elsewhere. That doesn't seem like an army move unless he knows if he brings him back that he's not going to get anything out of him. Um, and it's even then, I don't know if he would make that move. It seems like he might just bring him back and say... This is up to you now. However, for that scenario, which I think is the right scenario to play out the way you just outlined it, that requires trust on both sides. Exactly. Both sides do not have trust in one another. The Blues right now don't have trust that Vladdy's going to be available and that he's going to fall in line and do whatever is asked of him. And he clearly doesn't have trust in the organization. He does not think that they've done what's best for him in many different facets of this from, from a medical standpoint, from a trade standpoint, from a the way that he feels like he's been valued and respected. So for both teams to come to the table and ask one another to trust each party based on years of mistrust, I don't know if that's possible. It's it's a lot of hurt feelings that have happened over a long time that would need to get squashed. Right. And the the issue is going to be, you're right, from both sides can, what you have to do now, if, if you're Tarasenko and you went to another doctor and if you don't trust the Blues medical staff, don't deal with them. And what you have to do is just have trust in one guy, Armstrong. And Armstrong has to have trust and faith that Tarasenko will buy in and Yes, we want to move you, but he'll do the things that will enhance his value. And if you're the Blues, you don't want him to go to the KHL. You'd rather have his production. But if he goes to the KHL and hands you $7.5 million in cap space, and by the way, he's due $9.5 million in cash this year. It's not His his cash outlay is different than his, his cap outlay this year. So the Blues would be more than happy to take that $9.5 million in cash if he's not going to be productive for him and do something else with it or save it for Matthew. In a perfect world, Vladdy would return and he would be so angry and so motivated and he would say, fine, you think that I'm not the Vladimir Tarasenko that I want what once was? All right, I'm going to show you now. Mm-hmm. Is that what we're going? And then it benefits the Blues because you get a hopefully healthy and productive Vladimir Tarasenko with a chip on his shoulder, yep. mind you back. Uh, that would be great for the Blues and it would be great for Vladdy because it's he's essentially having his resume out there every single night for every team. He, sh- he is a, sh- a walking, living, breathing showcase of why another team should come acquire him. But will that happen? I don't see it. We are going to talk to Jeremy Rutherford later in the show. As a matter of fact, he's coming up at 845. But next, we've got to take it or leave it. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Tioli coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Coming up later on Carriker and Smallman, we're going to be giving away four tickets to the Bud Bash next Tuesday at the ballpark as the Cardinals take on the Braves. So you want to stick around for the entirety of Carriker and Smallman. If you want to win four tickets, four great tickets to the game next week and get a Bow Hart bobblehead as well. Ooh. Hard to beat that. that. Sounds like a sweet deal. Pretty awesome. So stick around. We've got uh, a ticket game coming up later in the show. But right now, take it or leave it. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle, I don't know if you saw this but tiger Woods spotted in la this week still on crutches but showing that he's clearly able clearly able to put most if not all of his body weight on the leg that was injured in the car crash five months ago take it or leave it in eight months 
Tiger Woods appears in the Masters for 2022. Ooh, that is such a good one. Five months past, able to put most of his weight on the leg now. That's amazing news. It is. Because a lot of us were wondering, based on the severity of the injury when it first happened, if that would even be possible. So I'm so thrilled to hear that. It looks like he's putting weight on it and walking around smoothly. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And I'm going to take that because no one has the tenacity that Tiger Woods has. And I have no doubt that he is rehabbing all day, every day. Just dreaming about the moment that he can get back out there and play. We've seen him play and recover from many injuries before. I know this is completely different, and I don't want to put that pressure and that expectation on him because that might not even be what he's thinking. He might just be thinking, I want to get to a place where I can feel healthy and great and spend time with my kids every day because he has nothing to prove at this point to anyone. He doesn't owe us anything. However, we know the way that he is wired, and I know that he likes a challenge. He's talked many times about how he likes to push himself. So I, I'm going to take that because that might be the thing that is pushing him every day. And here's the other thing about Tiger. He is somebody who knows golf history, and he knows about Ben Hogan's horrific car crash in 1949 that he was able to come back from and win Masters after. And I'm sure Tiger's thinking, well, if he can do that in 1949, I can do that in 2021, 2022. Yeah, with technology and yep. the way we've, we've had advancements, for sure. All right, Randy, we know that Aaron Rodgers is back in Green Bay. We had the actual timestamp of the exact <laughs> moment he stepped back on to the premises in Green Bay. And he had a press conference yesterday. We're going to let you hear some of that later in the show, where he was very honest. A lot of truth bombs from Aaron Rodgers about this entire process, about the things that he wants slash wanted, what went wrong with the Packers. Take it or leave it. If you were in that locker room in Green Bay, you would have a hard time with Aaron Rodgers coming back, just from a personal standpoint. I'm going to totally leave that. Totally leave that. And we'll hear in the press conference, he wanted to do things to help me as a player. He wanted to help recruit players. The, the argument was over the Packers accepting his offers to help them get better. So, no, I would have no problem at all with Aaron Rodgers. I am with you. I keep seeing things on social media and some people's arguments against Aaron Rodgers is how is the locker room going to receive him after he he did this to them, holding everybody in purgatory for so long and coming out and saying he's the reason that they're going to win and people are coming to Green Bay for him. He's right. Yeah. And if I'm in that locker room, I have no problem with him saying what everyone else is thinking. Right. And he also said, and it was just a, a brilliant play and everything was rehearsed, I know, but still... When he said, hey, I wanted to do this for Green Bay because I love Green Bay. I love the people here. I love playing here. He did he, everything that he said was perfect yesterday. There was not a misstep in a 32-minute press conference. He did not say one thing wrong. Yeah. I just, I just don't buy the storyline that somehow within the locker room in Green Bay that they're mad at him no. for doing this. No. Because they're all there because they want to win. Everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to win. And Aaron Rodgers is your best chance at winning. Yep. Emily, what do you have from the text line? Maybe Uncle Randy could help this one. Okay, we'll try. This one from Pete from Smithton. Take it or leave it. I'm not ready to take my oldest daughter to get her driver's license. Uh, oh. Well, I'm going to have to take it because if you're sending that text in, you are not ready to yeah. take her in. Fortunately, you have been through the process, right? You have had to have the permit. You've had to ride along. So when you take her to get the driver's license, 
unless she's driving you to get the driver's license, then it's all in the hands of the person that actually is providing her the test. So let her drive. Close your eyes at times. <laughs> I know you're going to have that, uh, that air brake on the passenger side of the seat, but just prepare. And know this, as she's out taking the test, Watch the screen, at least the one we were at. And we were in West County somewhere. But I'm sure that all of the state driver's license uh, places have the the exact same information up on the screen. And I'm watching the screen, and it it says 100% of people that that get a driver's license are going to be involved in an accident. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. Whether, like it's, whether it's a small fender <laughs> bender backing up or whether it's uh, denting your car at a gas station or something like that. Yeah, everybody that drives is eventually going to wind up. Something is going to happen to their vehicle. Well, the odds are not in your favor. No. So just know that. What's that like as a parent? Because I remember when I got my driver's license at 16, I was the first person in line on my birthday. I was so excited. I got that piece of paper and I was like, freedom. Yes. <laughs> You're so excited when you're 16. But now that I'm an adult, I'm like, 16 feels so young. Yeah. This is such a heavy responsibility we're giving a young person. And I remember the day I got my license, my dad said, this is a weapon. Getting behind the wheel of a mm-hmm. car is like having a loaded gun in your hands. You can severely hurt yourself and hurt other people. You've got to pay attention and be very careful at all times. And I was like, whoa, that is serious. But he's right. And so I can't imagine as a parent watching your child drive away in a vehicle. It has to be a very scary thing. Neither of my kids were going to get on the highway and go 80. So they're they're both very cautious. They're they're cautious in life. So they were going to be cautious on the road. But that doesn't take away any fear that you have about them getting involved in an accident because there's so many other people on the road. And especially if they're an inexperienced driver, there's natural fear there. From the 636, take it or leave it. If Drew Locke wins the starting job, the Broncos will go 10 and 6. Leave that. Because they they lose two automatically, right, to the Chiefs? You would think. And they probably lose one each to the Chargers and to the Raiders. So you're looking at four losses right there. So 10 and 6 is going to be hard. And just because he wins the starting job does not mean that he's going to keep it the entire season or that he's going to be a quarterback that propels them to wins. Right. And I, I think if we look, we can find a lot more losses. Yeah, and I, I, I always wanted Drew Locke to succeed. I don't Me know. Me too. If, I don't I'm know a big fan. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know if that's going to happen now. He, he's got talent, but I don't know if that he he has uh, NFL superstar talent. So I'm just going to have to. Uh, I'm going to have to leave that one. Let's see if we can come up with uh, ten wins for them quickly, though, just for fun, and see if uh, maybe this texture is correct. I I would hope so. Let's uh, get to their schedule. Here we go. Yeah, let's see if we can find 10 wins in there. All right. We've got uh, opening up at, at the Giants. We'll give them a win there. Yeah, definitely. Okay. At well, I don't say definitely, yeah. but we'll give them a win. At Jacksonville. Yeah, we're going to be liberal here. Okay. At, at Jacksonville, 2-0. We're being generous, 2-0. Jets at home. 3-0. Okay. Baltimore at home. 3-1. There you go. At Pittsburgh. I'm going to say 3-2. I am too. Home against the Raiders. Let's give them a win. Okay, that's nice. I yeah. I, I think that one's a push. I, I think they split, yeah. Yeah. With the Raiders. Okay. So four and two? Sure. At Cleveland. I think that one's a loss. I do too. So four and three. Home against the football team. Uh that one I'll give them a win. Okay, so we've got five wins. At Dallas. Ooh, that one's tough. I'm gonna say I'm gonna give him a mm, 
a lot depends on Dak. I don't really know yet. I'm gonna go. I'll give him a win. I'll be. I'll okay. be bold and give him a win. So there. we're at six. Home against Philadelphia. I'll give him a win there. We've got seven. Wow. Wins. Okay. Home huh. against the Chargers. Uh, I'm gonna give him an L. Okay. At Kansas City. Loss. We're still at seven wins. Home against Detroit. Definite win. We're at eight wins. Home against the Bengals. I'll, ooh, I'll give him a win there, too. We're at nine. Wow, this is a fun exercise. At Vegas. Did we give him a... What we gave him a win at home. Okay, so let's give him a loss because okay. I think they'll split with the Raiders. At the Chargers. I really like the Chargers this season. I really like Justin Herbert, but... What maybe we split there too? Yep. Okay. And we give him a win at home. That seems fair. Okay. And then versus Kansas City at home. Loss. So nine and seven. Nine and seven. Close though. Yep. Pretty impressive. All right, we'll do one more. Okay. From the six three six, take it or leave it. If the Blues add skill players like Eichel versus grit players like Kachuk, Baruby's exit clock begins. Uh. Yeah. Jack Eichel's a. a He's a very skilled player. But if you're trying to win a Stanley Cup and that player is going to be your guy, yeah, I think you'd rather have Kachuk, actually, than, than Jack Eichel. Jack Eichel is a really good player. But when once you get to the playoffs, as Tampa showed us a few years ago when they got swept in the first round, you need a lot more. You need sandpaper. You need grit like Matthew Kachuk provides. We've seen when the Blues have that grit and sandpaper, and we've yep. seen it when it hasn't been there 100%. But so. I will say that based on Jack Eichel's history in the National Hockey League, and the Blues would, if they had any interest, obviously go to Ryan O'Reilly and ask. But yeah. he, he's been through a lot of coaches for a number two pick in the draft and now wants out of there. I would say that whatever coach he would be coached by, including Craig Bruby. Yeah, that guy's clock is ticking towards him not having the job anymore. I know that Jack Eichel is a great player, but so much of what we're reading about him right now, doesn't it remind you of the Vladdy situation in a lot of ways, where it's the injuries, the mistrust, and he wants out, all of these things, and maybe it's because I'm having uh, a bit of Vladdy PTSD. It just makes me a little nervous. And it's hard to say because we know Ryan O'Reilly said that Buffalo situation made him lose his passion for the game. Great call. So the the Buffalo situation could have a big effect on what Jack Eichel is right now. You know what? I didn't even consider that. You're absolutely right. And look at what happened with Ryan O'Reilly. Maybe he just needs a complete change of scenery. Really quickly, Randy, I think we missed a game when we were counting the Broncos. You said nine and seven. Oh, yeah. That's right. But we got them to nine and eight, didn't we? Nine and eight? Yeah. Okay. I was going to say we miscounted. Yeah. But nine and eight. So that's still nine wins is pretty good. And uh, we could be wrong. Earmuffs, if you're going to be watching the gymnastics tonight, okay? Cover them, cover them. Five, four, three, two, one. SUNY Lee gold medal. Yes! In the uh, all-around competition. So good for USA. 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 Okay, take your earmuffs off. There you go. Congratulations to her. Welcome back. Yep. She did, huh? Wow. That was incredible. Congrats to her. Proud of her. Next up... The MLB trade deadline is tomorrow and NHL free agency. A lot of transactions, but we aren't talking about them here in St. Louis, are we? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
It is 8.06, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, and we're going to get to MLB and their trade deadline tomorrow in a moment. By the way, the Blues didn't do anything in NHL free agency, so not really an awful lot to discuss there. But Michelle, last week when everything went down with Texas and Oklahoma deciding to join the SEC, we wondered what role ESPN may have played in the move. Well, now we know what the Big 12 thinks because... The Big 12 has sent ESPN a cease and desist letter saying, stay out of our league's business. Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner of the league, says, I have absolute certainty that ESPN has been involved in manipulating other conferences to go after our members. The letter addressed to ESPN executive Burke Magnus, president of programming and content, said the Big 12 had become aware the network had taken actions to not only harm the Big 12 conference, but to result in financial benefits for ESPN, which to me means them getting Oklahoma and Texas. And I don't think that this is outside the realm of possibility because ESPN is a business. And if they have a network, they're going to be having conversations about how they can make their network the most compelling and best network and get the most eyeballs on it that they possibly can. And if the Big 12 was a more stable conference, it doesn't matter what type of conversations ESPN had with members of the Big 12. They would want to stay there. And. Bowlesby said in the letter that ESPN had actively engaged in discussions with at least one other conference regarding that conference, inducing additional members of the Big 12 to leave the Big 12. Bowlesby declined to name the conference, but it was learned that that conference is the the American Athletic Conference, which we pointed out on this Mm -hmm. show, would be a perfect landing spot for Kansas. So what do you think about this? ESPN says that these claims have no merit. They're denying this. But let's hypothetically say that ESPN did have conversations with Texas and Oklahoma Mm -hmm. because they thought that it would be beneficial for them to acquire two big powerhouses to the SEC network, which they own. Do you think that that is out of bounds for ESPN to engage in those conversations? No, they basically own college sports as it is right now. They own the college football playoff. They do. And they, they now own the SEC and they own part of the ACC and part of the Big Ten. And Big 12 was owned by ESPN and Fox. And they have a deal with an exclusive deal with the American Athletic Conference, too. It certainly benefits ESPN to have conferences set up to fit their needs. So I don't have a problem with what they're doing. They're trying to enhance their product and their product happens to be college football teams and college sporting teams. So naturally, I think they're going to be involved with those teams and trying to get them to enhance ESPN's product. And this is where I always go back to whoever is supposed to be at the top of this, which is the NCAA. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't the NCAA be so powerful that they wouldn't, that networks would have to run through them if things like this were going to happen to me, this just proves the power of the SEC and the power of ESPN. Right. You have the most powerful college football conference and the most powerful sports network that are partners. They have more power than the Big 12. They have more power than the NCAA. They're running this show. But if you would look at this situation and think if there was a more stable and more effective governing body over all of these conferences, over college athletics as a whole, things like this wouldn't be happening. And if you're college athletics and you allowed a thirst for dollars to allow 
an entity like ESPN essentially to run your show, whose fault is it? Whose fault is it that you were greedy? It's your own fault. Yeah. It's yeah. your fault so, that you were greedy. Yeah. Don't blame ESPN. You're the one that let that horse out of the barn, not them. Also, the Big 12, as they're seeing all of these changes over the past decade plus in the media landscape of college football, they have been reactive or stagnant when it comes to this. They could have been proactive. When the Big Ten Network was created and everybody saw the difference that the Big Ten Network was making, if I was any other conference, I would have jumped on that opportunity immediately. I would have thought, what network, what major network can I partner with so that we can have a Big 12 network or an ACC network? And obviously a lot of those things exist. But the Big 12 could have been very proactive in this and they weren't. So they only have themselves to blame. And what they did was allowed the Longhorn network to come into play yes and texas got all the money and that pissed off nebraska and mizzou and colorado as it should and texas a&m yeah it, it, as it should and it did and that was really the beginning of the end for that the start of the longhorn network was the beginning of the end for that conference and the big 12 allowing it and not saying you can't have your own separate network because yeah. we are going to have a, a collective big 12 network and we're going to do this the way every other conference is doing it is what started their demise. This is this is a self-inflicted wound. Yeah, and by the way, ESPN doesn't need to do anything anymore. The cease and desist letter is meaningless because ESPN, if they ha- have done any damage, it's already been done. That is such a great point. If they've had these conversations and it's gotten to this point where Texas and Oklahoma are, have already kicked open the door for their exit, it doesn't matter what's, what no. sort of legal action you take now. As you said, the damage is already done. Yep. The MLB trade deadline tomorrow, and obviously a couple of big names have already been moved. Eduardo Escobar from the Diamondbacks to the Brewers, Joey Gallo from the Rangers to the Yankees. But Jeff Passan says there's one more really big name that he thinks might move. The biggest story is Max Scherzer. Uh, Does he move? And if he moves, where does he go? And what do the Washington Nationals get back for him? The Nationals were trying to stay in this thing for as long as they could. Then they got swept by the Orioles over the weekend. And if you get swept by the Orioles and you're trying to contend, that probably should tell you pull the plug. And Mike Rizzo, their general manager, called up all the other GMs around baseball and said, we are open for business. Everybody except Juan Soto. And that included Trey Turner. Which was awfully interesting. You know, uh, I think inarguably at this point, the second best shortstop in baseball behind Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, Getting a deal for Turner done this soon, this close to the deadline, not going to be easy. You know, he may be a guy who would be an offseason trade candidate possibly. But Max Scherzer is a free agent after this season. And uh, the Nationals have a choice. They can either hold on to him for sentimentality's sake and get a draft pick, or they can go trade him and get an absolute haul for it. Now, it's too late, Michelle, but even with where the Cardinals are, I'm going to put you in Mo's shoes. I'm going to be Mike Rizzo, okay? Okay, let's do it. I will give you Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. You have to take on all the money for Scherzer for the rest of the season. What I want back is Nolan Gorman, Paul DeYoung, and any two starting pitchers that aren't Matthew Libertor in your system. And that includes Johan Oviedo. So that it would include Zach Thompson. That would include uh, any any of your top picks from over the course of the last couple of years. I, I want two pitchers from your system, Gorman, and then I need a shortstop, so I'll take the young two. Hmm. That's a very interesting proposition. Let me think it over. So it's going to include, this is a terrible mo, by the way. This is going to include Gorman, DeYoung, 
and two starters in the system that are not Matthew Libertor. Right. And I absorb all of the cost. Right. So we're talking maybe Zach Thompson and Angel Rondon. And I, I understand the Churchers only signed through this year and Turner's only signed through next year. So you're probably going to have to spend $300 million on Trey Turner after next year. And you lose Gorman's career and you lose those pitchers' careers. And you might lose Scherzer after this season. But boy, would the last two months of 2021 be fun for you. You know what? While this is an enticing offer, and we have loved Max Scherzer for years, we very much regret not making something work with him prior. I have to pass on this because... I'm sorry. Mo, I really why, can't, why are you passing? I can't do this. I can't. At the end of the day. Yes, you are much better, Mo. You're a much better Mo. At the end of the day, I don't think we're in a position right now to absorb the cost. And I don't know if we want to mortgage our future and absorb this cost if we're not in a position to win right now. Now, ha- had you come to me earlier, maybe this would have been a different discussion. But I don't think this is a move we can make presently. Okay. Again, that's a bad Mo. I'm, yeah. Mo, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. I tried to do you justice I, and I failed. I will tell you this. I tried to sound regal and poised. You were great. Thank you. That was great. Because Mo is very measured, so I tried to be calm and measured. The player that Randy wants most in baseball is Trey Turner. When we just heard that Jeff Passon bite, I was like, is Randy okay? I saw your yep. eyes yep. light up when he, you heard Trey Turner is available. Yep. He's a great defender. He can lead off. He's got a great on base, one of the top Five on-base percentages, I believe, in all of baseball. He can run. He can steal bases. He's what the doctor ordered for the Cardinal offense. And Scherzer would be fun for the last month. You know what, Michelle? I I think I would do it. But they're not going to win this year. They're they're likely not even a playoff team this year. But here's what you do. So you're absorbing all that money for what? What what you do is you you mark McGuire, Max Scherzer. All right. All right. All so, right. I'm with so you. you've got forty-seven thousand in the house. He starts off on the road. He goes zero and one. Remember McGuire telling us a couple weeks ago that he couldn't. He said it was an out-of-body experience when he stepped to the plate for the first time as a Cardinal. Cardinal Nation can do that to a person, right? So well, that requires that they have a packed house first. Max Scherzer, I guarantee you, Max Scherzer's first start. There's forty-seven five hundred in the in the house. Guaranteed. We thought Nolan Arenado would make it a packed house every night. And guess just, what? That hasn't happened. But this is, I'm going to see Scherzer pitch. I'm going to see, hell, the Parkway Central is going to have 30,000 people in the house. And then you got all the, your Mizzou people. It's, it's our guy. And then you have Trey Turner at shortstop too. Yeah, I just, with no guarantees that you're going to have both of them long-term and you're going to observe. Do you really think that the Cardinals, if I'm... They wouldn't. I would. You would. But if I'm Mo and I'm paying Paul D, or excuse me, Paul Goldschmidt, I'm paying Nolan Arenado, I'm trying to pay Jack Flaherty, I can't pay Trey Turner, too. Uh, because don't you think that if you if you absorb this money by Jack Flaherty. See you later. Thanks that's for your all, service. Yeah, that's already. That's okay, so who's your ace then? Who's your number one guy? Uh, well, Max Scherzer for the next couple of years. Scherzer and Flaherty are together for a couple of years. And hopefully Libertor at some point yep. comes up. And Alex Reyes hopefully is in that mix. I know and that there's Dakota options. Hudson is in that he's mix. Coming, yeah. He's coming back. I just, I don't know. Giving up on Gorman makes me nervous and maybe it's because giving up on cardinals prospects have the, the thought of doing that makes a lot of cardinals fans nervous but it's a fun discussion i six five seven eight oh would you take that would you make that deal if you're mo right so now here it is it's you're giving rizzo 
Paul DeYoung, okay, because you get a short stop back. You're giving him Nolan Gorman and any two starters not named Matthew Libertor in the organization. And you'll include Oviedo in this, but Zach Thompson, Rondone, uh, your your top prospects. You just brought up that draft choice from last year. He just got promoted to Peoria. So you've got some pretty good pitching prospects in the organization. 65780. All right, that's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It is time for... You're killing me, Smalls. Aaron Rodgers talked yesterday, Randy. Finally. He had a press conference. He finally addressed everything that's been going on in the offseason, all of the drama. And boy, did he address it. He was very honest about how he was feeling about what this entire process was like and what caused him to be unhappy in Green Bay. So we're going to run through a couple things that he said. I really want to break it down. But I think the most important thing to address first is the report that the Packers offered Aaron Rodgers a new contract. It would make him the highest played payer in football. And he turned it down because, as he says, it's not about the money. This was not a money issue. Post the draft, I think what basically happened was then they said, uh, you know, we'll, we'll give you some, we'll give you some money now. Let's see if we can throw some money at you. I said from the start it wasn't about the money. Um, obviously, I didn't show up for the off-season program or mini camp. To me, it was bigger than this. It was about uh, trying to be a resource for the organization that I care about and love so much. That is uh, the perfect thing to say to Packer fans and. It's always good when an athlete says it's not about the money. And he did say, hey, I've made a lot of money. I'm I'm good and I'm not a victim. But he did a really good job of pretty much pandering to the fan base here. Absolutely. And he says it's not about the money, but his actions back that up. Mm -hmm. A lot of athletes say it's not about the money and then they are looking for more money. But he could have signed a much bigger contract to stay there. And he says it's not about the money. So then the follow up question is then, well, what is it about? And Aaron Rodgers was very clear about things that he wanted. And that means players. And he had a list, Randy. He came with receipts of Mm -hmm. players that he wanted and ways that he thought Green Bay did not support the organization and put them in the best position to win. Started with a conversation in February um, that the season ended and I just expressed, you know, my desire to be uh, more involved in conversations directly affecting my job. Um, also, uh, I wanted to help the organization maybe learn from them some of the mistakes in the past, in my opinion, about the way that some of the uh, outgoing veterans were treated. Um, and just the fact that we didn't retain uh, a number of uh, players that I felt like were core players to our foundation, our locker room, high character guys. I'm talking about Charles Woodson, Jordy Nelson, Julius Peppers, Clay Matthews, Randall Cobb, James Jones, John Kuhn, Brett Good, TJ Lang, Brian Balaga, Casey Hayward, Micah Hyde, guys who were you know, exceptional players for us, but great locker room guys, high character guys, many of them who weren't offered a contract at all or were extremely lowballed or were, you know, maybe in my opinion, not uh, given the respect on the way out that guys of their status and stature and high character deserve. I will say this, listening to that list of players, not a single one of them ever played at a high level after leaving the Packers. Not one. 
So maybe the Packers were right yeah. in not retaining these players? He wants to keep his friends around, mm-hmm. and they're interested in having good football players. However, if you're a fan and you hear Aaron Rodgers list that collection of players and he says those names in the same sentence as they didn't get the respect they deserved on their way out, if you're a Packers fan and you're talking about Matthews and you're talking about Nelson, these guys that you loved and that you watch, I think your initial reaction is, yeah, they deserve respect. So if, if his intention in this press conference was to win over fans, that might do it. But how do you give them respect then do, do you need a thank you video on your website? Is that the level of respect? Because if you offer those guys all those guys contracts, you're going to wind up like the St. Louis Rams wound up in 2007 and 2008. The, the Rams did show people like Holt and Bruce and Orlando Pace a tremendous amount of respect by keeping them around. And look what happened. Also, it's a business. Yeah. It is a business. The worst thing you can do as a front office is get emotional about your players. But fans are emotional. They are. But I would think that the the rational Packer fans will say, just look at that list of players and say, okay, well, what they do after they left here? Sure. He wanted them around. Sure. He wished that they would have been offered contracts. But if they're offered contracts, you offer Randall Cobb and James Jones long-term contracts, then you don't have Devontae Adams anymore. You can't keep everybody. But I think Aaron Rodgers' point is that maybe he was looking at the way their careers ended, these players that Mm -hmm. were beloved and very successful in Green Bay, and he didn't like the way that that went down, and maybe he wanted to be consulted on some of these things. And if he's looking at his future, he doesn't want it to end the same way. We never do. Did we want to see Orlando Pace wind up with the Bears? Did we want to see Torrey Holt wind up with the Jags? Did we want to see Isaac wind up with the 49ers or Steven with the Falcons? No, you don't want to see it. It's up to the player to figure out that he can't play anymore. And it sounds like Aaron Rodgers, by saying all of these things, is just saying through whatever he's trying to say, the way I'm interpreting it is that you didn't consult with me. Mm -hmm. When you let go of these guys, I had no say in this. I didn't like the way it went down, which caused me to want to leave. That's cool, but that tells me why they aren't giving him more control in the organization. Because he's clearly not, uh, he is evaluating on emotion. They aren't. Well, he went on to say that he's part of the reason that they're winning and that a lot of people want to come to Green Bay for number 12. The other part uh, in in February was wanting to be a part of conversations involving free agents, uh, which has never happened in my career. Um, You know, I've I've trained with a number of NFL guys most of my career in the off seasons. Um, My agency at the first has had a number of high draft picks over the years. Uh, I've tried to pass along information. Um, Hasn't really been uh, used, shall we say. Um, so I wanted to offer my services as a recruiter, you know, uh, and I think we can all understand, you know, Green Bay isn't, uh, uh, you know, a huge vacation destination. People are coming here to play with me, uh, to play with our team and, and knowing that they can win a championship here. And the fact that I haven't been used in those discussions was one I wanted to change moving forward. And I felt like based on my years, uh, the way I can still play, that that should be a natural part of the conversation. I do agree with him there. Mm -hmm. If there are players that the Packers 
have an eye on, and Aaron Rodgers can help them out in recruiting those players by all means. Should he decide who the players are that they recruit? No, but he should be part of the process. That's a natural thing. If you have a superstar player that can help get a player that you want in free agency to Green Bay, then by all means, you, you should utilize Aaron Rodgers. No doubt. Out of everything that he said, I'm with you. I agree with this 100%. I appreciate his honesty in saying what everyone is thinking and what everybody already knows, that people are going to Green Bay specifically to play with Aaron Rodgers, and they're going to play with him because he is great and gives them a chance to win, just like people wanted to go to New England and play with Tom Brady and play for Bill Belichick and within the Patriots organization because they thought it gave them the best chance to win. And I think if the Packers front office wasn't using Aaron Rodgers as the main recruiting tool that they had, then that reflects incredibly poorly on them because if I was going after any player in the league, I would have Aaron Rodgers pick up the phone, FaceTime them, call them, maybe fly them in to meet Aaron Rodgers and have him sit them down and say, here's what you know I'm capable of doing. We think that you're the piece that we need, that I need to win and come to Green Bay and we're going to get it done here. And I wish I would have been in the press conference yesterday because I would have asked him what player would have helped the Packers beat Atlanta five years ago in the playoffs where you got routed because you threw three first half interceptions. What player two years ago when you had a terrible game against San Francisco would have helped the Packers win that game? And when you threw three interceptions this year and had the terrible third quarter, what player would have made the difference in the Packers winning against Tampa Bay in the NFC Championship game? He probably would have had an answer for you too. Yeah, he might have. But the difference in those games was Aaron Rodgers. Because he's the one that handed those games over to the opposition. But he's never going to say that. He's not, but it's reality. He's never going to say, I'm I'm the reason for our success and also yep. for partly responsible for our failures. Because it's human nature to want to point the finger. It's human nature to never want to take full responsibility right. for things that haven't gone your way. So what it's the... And whether part, I think that just like in life, Randy, part of it on one side is true. Part of it on the other side is true. But the true truth is in the middle. Should the Packers use Aaron Rodgers to recruit players and consult with him on things that he's seen on the field and maybe on tape with other guys? Of course. Should he have full autonomy and those with those decisions? Absolutely not. Is he the, the major reason for their success? Yes. Has he contributed to their failures? Also, yes. But nobody wants to yeah. say that. And nobody it, wants to live in the middle. Right. Even, even asking the Packers, if you just could take it this way, Aaron, we'll grant you that the Packers have never had a run-stuffing inside linebacker. Who would you have recommended that they go out and get free agency in free agency? Mm-hmm. Because that's another big part of the reason that they lost to San Francisco uh, year, a year ago. I, I think that's a legit question. But in terms of the guys that he listed, none of those guys were going to help them be better than 13-3 and three and win in the playoffs the last couple of years. How much of this do you think is the Tom Brady effect? Because we tend to compare ourselves to our peers, and his peer is Tom Brady. And Tom Brady left a place where he didn't have control over decisions like this, went to a place where he gained all the power, and he won. And I wonder if Aaron Rodgers is looking at his peer, who now has full power. We just saw a headline on ESPN saying Tom Brady's getting to coach the team for a day, who is getting consulted on every personnel decision that's made, is getting to change plays if he wants to, is getting to coach the team if he wants to, and is saying, I deserve that. And Brady wanted that because Manning got it. Manning got his guys mm-hmm. and his offense in Denver. So, yeah, that's what 
our speculation on this show has been ever since this all started is that this is a power play. And the way he laid it out yesterday, it is. That's fine. He, he can want power, but that doesn't mean he's right. I think he, just like anything, it's in the middle. He yeah. should get some power, not all of it. Yeah, and, and like he said, if, the, if he would help them go get actual players that could help them win playoff games, that'd be wonderful. But if his thing is to bring back Brian Balaga, who's hurt every year, and TJ Lang, who can't play anymore, and James Jones, who was used up, that's not going to help the Packers at all. I don't think. Micah Hyde, Charles Woodson, he's in the Hall of Fame now. It's great, mm-hmm. but he yeah. couldn't play anymore when the Packers let him go. Thank you, Michelle. You're welcome. That's your Killing Me Smalls on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we've got the fight. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> It's Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN, and it's time for the fight. Randy's challenger today is Todd. Good morning, Todd. How you doing? Doing great, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for joining us. Are you ready to take on Megamind in the fight? Well, he's always really good, so uh, I've got my work cut out for me, but uh, let's see what happens. You can do it, Todd. We believe in you. All right, good luck. Question number one. The Marlins were looking for pitching and the A's for an outfielder when they swapped Starling Marte and Jesus Lozardo yesterday. Which team did Marte make his major league debut with back in 2012? Was it the Pirates, the Marlins, or the Diamondbacks? I believe it's the Diamondbacks. On this day in 2000, the Cardinals traded Mark Nussbeck and Chris Richard to the Orioles for who? Mike Timlin, Will Clark, Carlos Hernandez. What was the year again? 2000. I'm going with Will Clark. Question number three for you, Todd. On this day in 2002, the Cardinals traded Placido Polanco, Bud Smith, and Mike Timlin to the Phillies in exchange for Doug Nickel, Cash, and who? Was it Jason Marquis, Scott Rowland, or Jason Isringhausen? Um, Jason Marquis. And if you haven't noticed by now, you'll notice by this question. On this day in 2018, the Cardinals sent Luke Voigt an international bonus slot money to the Yankees in exchange for Jason Shreve and who? Giovanni Gallegos, Justin Williams, or Henesis Cabrera? I believe it was Gallegos. All right, we're checking our score. Randy's on his way back in. Confidence check, Todd. How are you feeling? Uh, not great. <laughs> the old Mo, not great. Yeah, these yeah, were tough I questions. Thought I, I thought I'd throw that one in for you. I love that. Did you hear my Mo impression earlier? It was terrible. I'm ashamed. Yeah, you need to work on that one a little bit. Thank you. What do you think it is? I need to drop the tone a little more. It's hard to do. It, it is hard. Yeah, because you got to be monotone, and uh, you know. But you were you were close. But yeah, just keep just keep working at it. Thank you. One day I'll get it. Randy, say good morning <laughs> to Todd. Todd, good morning. How you doing? Great, Randy. How are you today? Doing well. What do you think the key is to a good Mo impression? Because I was saying I really botched it earlier. Um, you you want to you want to be very measured. Uh huh. He talks with a 
Uh, he doesn't rush when he speaks, so you want to take your right. time when you're saying things. But I, I did a terrible. See, I don't, I can't do it. I, for some reason, pick up kind of an East Coast accent. Terrible job. What is that? That's yeah, my you, mo. you kind of sound like Biff or Tad, yeah. the, the East Coast uh, yacht club guys. <laughs> Which is not Mo. I no. can't do a good Mo. So when we do this moving forward, you have to be Mo. Work on this because you can do a good Mo. Um, not great. See, that's what Todd did. Todd gave me a very solid not great. All right, Randy, question number one. The Marlins were looking for pitching the A's for an outfielder when they swapped Starling Marte and Jesus Lozardo yesterday. Mm -hmm. Which team did Marte make his major league debut with back in 2012? I believe it was the Pirates. On this day in 2000, the Cardinals traded Mark Nussbeck and Chris Richard to the Orioles for who? On this date in 2000, Mark Nussbeck and Chris Richard... Okay, so it was one of two guys, and I'm going to guess that it was Will Clark. I'll go with uh, Will Clark. They made two trades within days with Baltimore, but I think that was a Will Clark trade. All right, question number three, Randy. On this day in 2002, the Cardinals traded Placido Polanco, Bud Smith, and Mike Timlin to the Phillies in exchange for Doug Nickel, Cash, and who? That would be Cardinal Hall of Famer Scott Rowland. And on this day in 2018, the Cardinals sent Luke Voigt an international bonus slot money to the Yankees in exchange for Chase and Shreve and Giovanni Gallegos. Emily, ring it. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. Did I mess up, Mike, mess up Mike Timlin? You very well did. You did. Sorry, Todd. Randy got three correct. You got one. So Randy wins okay. the fight today. Starling Marte made his Major League debut in 2012 with the Pittsburgh Pirates. As Randy just said, on this day in 2000, the tar- Cardinals traded Mark Nussbeck and Chris Richard excuse me, to the Orioles for Mike Timlin. Um, on this day in 2002, the Cardinals traded Placido Polanco, Bud Smith, and Mike Timlin to the Phillies in exchange for Doug Nickel, Cash, and Scott Rowland. And on this day, as you might have mentioned, in 2018, the Cardinals sent Luke Voigt international bonus slot money to the Yankees in exchange for Chasen Shreve and Giovanni Gallegos. Todd, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for playing. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I uh, missed Danny Mack to uh, ask me what I do for a living. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll <laughs> ask you, Todd, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a uh, I'm a high school math teacher and coach at Westminster Christian Academy, and uh, in the summers I clean pools for Pro Pool Company, and also I'm a golf club center down at Golf Galaxy in Chesterfield Valley. So I got a, I've got a lot of different games. Wow. Very nice! What a Renaissance man you are, Todd. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for listening. We hope you have an awesome rest of your day. Thanks, guys. Great show. Do you ever hear a name and you can only think of one thing? Yeah. When I hear Todd, I think of Wedding Crashers, and I think of The Painting Was a Gift, Todd, really? and I'm taking it with me. I yes. W- I was thinking the uh, Frank Caliendo, uh, uh, Mel Kuyper. Todd, 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 <laughs> Todd, Todd. <laughs> See, you do think yep. of something. Yep. Uh, that's my favorite line in that movie. The Painting Was a Gift, Todd. I'm taking it with me. By the way, it was July 31st, days later, that the Cardinals traded Jose Leon to the Orioles for Will Clark. So two trades between the two teams within the space of three days. Nice. Will Clark was an option if you would have oh, asked for the option. Okay. So it was, uh, yeah, I put that on there for a little, oh, that, that, little trick a, question. That's, that's a good one. That was good, yep. Coming up, we're going to talk about the Blues with our Blues insider, Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. He's next on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Our Blues insider from The Athletic is the one and only J.P. Rutherford, or J, uh, J.P., but we can, well, he's J.P. on Twitter. We call him Jeremy. J.R., how you doing? Good, doing well, doing well. Well, let's start with this because you did mention last night on Twitter that the Blues have lost a lot of players and gained only one this offseason. But uh, as Dick Vermeil once told us, and this is the hockey one, uh, the, the Blues are going to start the season in October with 12 forward, six defensemen, and a goalie available <laughs> to them, right? <laughs> they are, they are, they are. It looks a little light right now, doesn't it? You know, even as I put that little list together, the fact that they got Buchnevich and they've lost these five players, you know, Vince Dunn in the expansion draft and Sammy Blay in a trade, you know, Carl Gunnarsson retires. So there's reasons why the uh, the number of guys going uh, is bigger than the, the guys coming. But, you know, Doug Armstrong's got some young players to fill in, you know, perhaps a Clint Costin slips in there. And then also uh, for agency just started yesterday. And I know some people get frustrated when uh, you don't have a signing, a big signing on that first day, but still time to, to bring in uh, players. And JR, I know that you do the math and your math is better than mine, but I look at their four restricted free agents and I don't see the Blues having a, an awful lot more than three, four million dollars to spend after they sign those guys. Yeah, no, that's about right. And it, it depends what they're going to retain in the Tarasenko trade, you know, if and when that happens. But you're right. Uh, Buchnevich was the biggest restricted free agent in terms of what his contract was going to look like. And I thought the Blues got him at a real good price, $5.8 million for the prime of his career, age 26 to 30 is what you're looking at there. After that, Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo, Ivan Barbashev, uh, you know, those are the other restricted free agents. I don't think they're going to cost a ton, but when you add their contracts up, Randy, you're right. Uh, you're, you're, you are better at math than me. Uh, it doesn't leave them with much. So you got the three to four million, but then, uh, you know, if you retain half of Tarasenko's salary, uh, you know, it could give you a little more flexibility. JR, you said if and when the Vladimir Tarasenko deal happens, do you think it does get done, or do you think he starts the season with the Blues? Gosh, it's uh, lately it's reminded me of growing up watching uh, my mom in the living room uh, watching General Hospital or Days <laughs> of Our Lives or something like that. But, uh, you know, I think it'll get done. I really do. Uh, I realize that Doug Armstrong uh, has to take a stance and say, look, if, if I don't find the deal that I want, I can envision Vladimir Tarasenko in a Blues uniform to start the season. I, I totally get that. Everybody gets it. But I don't know that you want to start a fresh season with an issue like that hanging over everybody's head. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, the people that I talked to in the story I wrote today, you know, they say that the uh, ship sailed, uh, it's over, you know, make the trade already. And uh, Doug Armstrong has to do his due diligence, as he's been doing for a couple months, before he makes that deal. So to me, I can't picture Tarasenko on the ice opening night We'll see what happens. I would expect that trade to come sooner than later. If he's not in St. Louis to start the season, where do you think he is? Well, there's a number of spots. Uh, and then, as I mentioned in the story this morning, uh, you know, it's just kind of limited. And we've been talking about that, discussing it, writing it for a number of weeks right now, that the market for a guy who's 29 with three shoulder surgeries and hasn't necessarily produced in the past couple of years with a $7.5 million price tag there aren't a lot of teams out there 
who want a guy like that. And so I think because we're still sitting here talking about when is this trade going to happen is evidence of, of, of that situation. However, I think things have to play out. You have to have the expansion draft. Teams have to say, okay, this is who we lost. Now, then free agency happens. Okay, we, we signed this guy. Now here's what our cap space situation is. Maybe they come back to the Blues. So, you know, I can understand if you're Doug Armstrong listening to this conversation and he just says, hey, it's just not there. Like, uh, you know, the, the compensation just isn't there. That's why it's hard to make this deal. I believe him. I believe him. But I also believe that he's going to work as hard as he can to find a package to make this happen because we all know that uh, it's come to the end of the road. A couple of things, JR. Number one, would it make sense for the Blues and for Tarasenko to try to rehabilitate himself physically and in the eyes of the NHL for a couple of months before you move him? And I know that trust is a limited part of that relationship right now, but if they agree, okay, you play in October, November, part of December, show us in the league that you're healthy, and then we'll do everything we can to move you. Would would that make sense? It's certainly possible, but I think there's a little bit of you know, gamble with that. What if he comes back and he doesn't play very well? And then there's absolutely no trade value. So for the limited amount of trade value that there is right now, I think that there are still some teams, if they could make it work, they're telling themselves, yeah, 30 goal score. Okay. He's had the shoulder surgery. We get it. But you know, we know that he had the uh, stabilizing surgery this time, you know, maybe there's a chance, but if you get two months into the season and this guy's sitting on one goal and pouting, and maybe he's a healthy scratch at that point, you know, then good luck that last year and a half trying to trade that salary. And then uh, first and foremost, I think that the the biggest thing is I I, I just don't think you can have him around. I don't think it's good for the organization. Uh, I don't think Vladdy wants to be around. I'm I'm looking at that from both sides, and I just can't picture him being in the sweater. The other part of this, JR, is that – a guy like Jonathan Druin from Tampa demanded a trade very publicly, and he was there for another year. Uh, you look back at the beginning of 2018, the fall of 2018, and Braden Chen was very unhappy here in St. Louis. Now it looks like he's going to spend the rest of his career here. So it's not like once a trade is requested that teams necessarily make the move right away historically. So many times they do, but not all the time. Yeah, not all the time. And, and you know, different players fit in different uh, organizations maybe better. And, you know, time as it goes on, maybe it's not the ideal situation uh, for Vladimir Tarasenko here. And, and perhaps he does go somewhere else and thrive. But to me, that's all going to be based on his health. But right now, the Blues and, and Tarasenko's camp, they just need to get through the part of, uh, of moving them. And, uh, you know, Vladdy is going to get a fresh start. You know, he's been doing some uh, training in uh, Colorado uh, recently. And, uh, you know, by all accounts, you talk to people, he's motivated. I know we've heard all this before, and, and who knows? You know, he, or he could go to another place and, you know, not be able to recover from the, the three shoulder surgeries and people say, I told you so. So, I mean, this thing to me can still go one of two ways. Jerry, we know that this is a, a business. Vladdy's trying to do what's best for him. Army wants to do what's best for the Blues organization. But you mentioned that you don't think it's good for the organization for him to return. How do you think Vladdy would be received by his teammates if he does have to come back to St. Louis? Well, it's a good question. Uh, I think the the situation as I see it, and I've seen it for 15, 20 years, is players understand it's a business. Whether it's you know, Jaden Schwartz holding out for a couple of days, Alex Petrangelo, he probably, you know, people don't even remember that that happened uh, for a couple of days. There are things that, that happen business-wise with players in the locker room and the rest of their teammates 
understand it. But I think when you look at the Tarasenko situation, you know, it's been going on for, uh, you know, months or, or years in terms of, you know, questions about, uh, you know, the, the locker room and, you know, the leadership and not just with Tarasenko, we, you know, we wrote it before with all the other veterans, but, but I think that, you know, they've already made up their opinion of Vladimir Tarasenko. I don't think, what happens uh, with the with the trade and what happens with the trade request and what comes out in the media is going to influence their opinion. You know, they've already got an opinion of Vladimir Tarasenko. So what that is, I don't know. I do think that if he were some for some reason to be in the uniform on opening night, you know, they'd welcome him and, and, and play with him. So I don't think there's any angst that way. I just think that everybody involved and probably some teammates too just realize that it's best to uh, resolve this. JR, for people that only pay attention to the Blues and aren't paying attention to the rest of the league, you might be sitting here saying, well, the Blues, if they don't get anything back for Vladimir Tarasenko, they aren't going to be a playoff team. But I look at Colorado. They're going to win the division. They, they should win the division. I, I look at Dallas. But then after that, Arizona, Nashville, who, and they admit that they're in what they're calling a competitive rebuild. Winnipeg is obviously a question mark after last year. Chicago and Minnesota. Uh, I think the third spot in the Central is going to be wide open. Yeah, I think it could be. I, I just look at the roster right now, and it's got a couple holes. And, and I do realize that you know guys can play better. Uh, Jordan Kyrou had a breakout season last year. Maybe he even takes another step this year. Maybe Robert Thomas uh, figures it out. Maybe Clem Costin jumps in there, and he's the surprise. And, and we forget about uh, you know the fact that they didn't get Landeskog, so on and so forth. You know, I just think that uh, as you look at the roster now and you realize that some of the names we've been talking about for, for several weeks are off the board, uh, Landeskog um, and some others, that where are you going to get the help? It's going to have to come from within. You know, I believe they're probably still one of the teams uh, involved in Brandon Saad, and he'd be a nice addition. Is he going to put you on the level with uh, Vegas and Colorado? Probably not, but he, he would be a good addition if the Blues could somehow, you know, win that battle for him. But, you know, you don't want to overpay. But to me, Randy, you're right. They've got a good team still, even if they don't get anything back from Tarasenko. A lot of it's going to have to come from within some of those names that I mentioned. And do you think that aside from Colorado and Dallas, is, is there a team that stands out to you in the Central that you say, okay, they are a powerhouse or a potential powerhouse? Not necessarily a powerhouse. Uh, you know, I, I like the teams you mentioned, but uh, Minnesota to me is really, I don't want to say turn the corner yet, but putting something together. I think Billy Guerin's making some uh, good decisions, and Kaprizov is, uh, I think, a superstar here. So, uh, he's going to be fun to watch. They got uh, Cam Talbot in goal, but uh, I think uh, with both goalies, they, they got solid uh, play in net last year. Um, so I think it's a situation where Minnesota, maybe not this coming year, but they're putting their name in the hat too. JR, I wanted to ask you about Mike Hoffman before we let you go, because at one yep. point in the season, we thought it was a foregone conclusion that the Blues and Mike Hoffman would have no interest in retaining him or, or he coming back. He ends up going to Montreal, but how close were the Blues to getting Mike Hoffman to return? Well, I got a text back from him last night, and he said very close and uh, almost uh, took the deal. Uh, I believe that uh, Montreal came in with some more money. So he gets the three years, he gets the 4.5 AAV. So, you know, if you're doing the math here, maybe the Blues came in at $4 million, uh, like uh, like they paid him last year on the one-year deal. Uh, but he, he told me that he was very close. So uh, it would have been interesting. Who would have guessed that Mike Hoffman uh, would be thinking about coming back to St. Louis kind of after uh, the drama last year, but he was, and they're going to miss him on the power play. You know, say what you want about the 
a fit and the, and the five on five play out of Mike Hoffman. But we, I think that his uh, goals down the stretch on the power play is what got the blues into the playoffs. So, you know, they'll move on without him, And, and we touched on some of the names that could fill in that hole, but nobody's going to fill in that hole on the PP. And JR, one last thing before we let you go, you mentioned fit. How do you think that Craig Berube fits with this current roster? I think he still fits. I, I know that Doug Armstrong said at the end of the season, Craig and I are going to have to talk and you know make sure we're on the same page about you know what players you know, we're going after and how they fit into the system. I think that was evident last year when we saw you know some of the guys still on the team that probably didn't fit that Craig Bruby uh, style. Look, this is a big year for the entire organization, uh, but I think it's a big year for Craig Bruby. It's the last year of his three-year contract. And, and I think the Blues, after what we've seen uh, the past two seasons, particularly in the playoffs with the first-round exit, there's going to be a lot more spotlight. 2019, we're talking three years ago now, that, that Stanley Cup run, and you know, obviously that wears off at, at some point. So, you know, I still think Craig Bruby is the guy for the job, and, and I, think, I think that he can get this team plan. And now, based on uh, the parts that they're going to go into the season with, he's going to have to figure out a, a way to get these guys going. JR, you always bring great material, great piece at The Athletic. We recommend that everybody read that. And if they don't have a subscription to The Athletic, go sign up right now. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks. See you later. That is our friend Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues Insider from The Athletic on 101 ESPN. If you're a Blues fan and you don't have a subscription to The Athletic by now to read every piece of news that Jeremy Rutherford has, what are you doing? And he's been unbelievable on the Tarasenko story. So good. And I, it'll be interesting. I, I wonder what sort of appetite there is for Blues ownership to pay a guy, guy like Vladimir Tarasenko to play for somebody else. But if you know that the team, as Jeremy mentioned, they've already made up their mind on who he is and how they mm-hmm. feel about him. If you know that him returning is going to be bad for the chemistry of your team, do you do it? So, do you really want to start the season with this drama, as JR said, hanging over the team? So, I don't know if I do. So then what do you do? Do you just release him? You swallow the $15 million? Why couldn't Seattle just have solved this problem? Yeah, they, the they could have. Come on, Come on Seattle. Seattle. What are you guys doing? <laughs> what are you thinking? Jeez. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, more on the Aaron Rodgers return to Green Bay. Coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> It's 9.09 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Rob Domoski of ESPN reports that Brian Gutekunst said in his press conference this morning, he's the general manager of the Packers, that the Randall Cobb reacquisition was totally based on the return of Aaron Rodgers. He said, quote, I think that's a big part of it. I don't think without Aaron we would be pursuing him. This was a very important thing for Aaron, and that's why we did it. And Rodgers wanted to have his suggestions heard within the organization. And he knows that there were other players that could have come to Green Bay over the past few years if the Packers would have allowed him to be part of the process. The other part uh, in in February was wanting to be a part of conversations involving free agents, uh, which has never happened in my career. Um, You know, I've I've trained with a number of NFL guys most of my career in the off-seasons. Um, my agency at the first has had a number of high draft picks over the years. Uh, I've tried to pass along information. Um, hasn't really been uh, used, shall we say. Um, so I wanted to offer my services as a recruiter. You know, 
Uh, and I think we can all understand, you know, Green Bay isn't, a, uh, you know, a huge vacation destination. People are coming here to play with me, uh, to play with our team and, and knowing that they can win a championship here. And the fact that I haven't been used in those discussions was one I wanted to change moving forward. And I felt like based on my years, uh, the way I can still play, that that should be a natural part of the conversation. He's absolutely spot on here. With the way that he's been playing, everyone wants to come to Green Bay, not because it's an historic franchise and because they want to play for the laundry and play at Lambeau, which is a bonus. They're going there to play with number 12 because they think that playing with him gives them a chance to win a Super Bowl. So if you're the front office of the Green Bay Packers, why are you not using your most valuable recruiting tool? Right. If you have interest in a player, you have the conversation with Rodgers and say, hey, do you have a relationship with this guy? We want to bring him in. Now, you don't say, Aaron, you just pick out whoever you want to come here. Mm-hmm. And we want those players to to be here because he listed a list of names, most of whom, after they left Green Bay, didn't play more than two years in the league after they left. People like uh, James Jones and uh, Brian Balag is in his second year now with the Chargers. You've got... Uh, T.J. Lang, who spent two years with Detroit, Jordy Nelson one year, James Jones one year. So you want to pick your own players. But, yes, if you have a player with that sort of cachet in the league, like Tom Brady did with Antonio Brown, and I guess I don't know if they would have gone after Brown without Brady, but sometimes you give a little sugar to your guy. (laughs) But, yeah, if you have a player that you like and Rodgers can help recruit him, absolutely. And, by the way, they aren't coming there for less money. Ultimately, they're going to sign where the most money is. I don't know if I'm a player and I have an opportunity to go somewhere where I think that I'm going to be positioned to win or there's a little bit more money elsewhere. I don't know. I think that's a tough decision for a lot of players, especially when the quarterback you have is Aaron Rodgers. We're talking about one of the greatest to ever do this. This isn't if we're looking at quarterback tiers, he's at the tippy top. Mm -hmm. He's at the very top. And the Packers are a team who's a they're a playoff team. They're a team that have been so close to going back to the Super Bowl and winning Aaron Rodgers second Super Bowl. I think it's difficult when Tom Brady's still in the league. They've gotten in the way a lot. But if I'm a player and that's an option for me, and especially if I'm a veteran player and I haven't won yet and I've made some money, I don't know. That's pretty enticing. So I think he's spot on there. And I think shame on the Packers if they, in fact, didn't use him to the best yeah. of their ability to recruit other players. If they had that ability to, they should have. Now, if you're a veteran player who's already made a lot of money and you still haven't won, odds are that you aren't a particularly productive player anymore. You aren't. You probably aren't that guy that's going to put a team like the Packers over the top in January. Normally, when players that have made a bunch of money sign with another team, they they wind up getting disappointed. I look at someone like Chris Long, who was Mm -hmm. with the Rams, the feudal Rams, for so long, and he goes to New England because he wants to win. And was he the number two overall draft pick, Chris Long, that we had here in St. Louis? No. Was he a guy that contributed in his own ways to help the Patriots win that Super Bowl? Absolutely. And I think Aaron Rodgers is just saying, there was one quote that I I pulled out of this. He said, I just want to be involved in conversations that affect my ability to do my job. And I think that is in no way unrealistic. Does he want more power than he's letting on? Probably. Is that because he thinks the front office didn't do enough in the past to position them to win? Also likely. But I think that that at its basis is a very fair and reasonable ask for someone that does so much to put you in a position to win. I do. But when you look and listen 
to the names that he listed and look at their level of productivity at the time they were let go by the Packers, do you trust him to make those personnel moves? Um, I trust his opinion because he sees things on the field and on film that me as a front office executive might not understand, and I value his opinion. But I think there's a way to include him in these conversations and make him feel valued while listening to his opinion and not giving him full autonomy. Maybe if you had those conversations about player X and you had an open dialogue, you would have come to the same conclusion. But then he feels valued and feels heard and feels like he has more stake in this. Yeah, it's a tough, it's a fine line because it is. It's the, very the, name, delicate. the names that he listed: Jordy Nelson lasted one more year in the league. James Jones lasted one more year in the league. T.J. Lang lasted two more years in the league. Charles Woodson lasted one more year in the league. Julius Peppers lasted two more years in the league. Guys, the, he's talking about that they didn't respect; they were finished. But maybe the only he, team that wanted him were the Raiders. But maybe he or the Lions. He thought there was one of those guys that if they came back with him for a year, that he had a chemistry and comfort level with them, that they could have gotten a little bit more out of them for a year. For a year, you don't you don't know where his thought process is, and that he, maybe he's not saying you sign him to a, a you know a four year extension. But I just think his whole point is is that he wants to be folded into these conversations, right. into these transactions. And like I said, if you're the Packers and you want to pursue a guy. You should go to Rodgers. The Cardinals do this all the time when they want to recruit guys with Wainwright and uh, Yachty and think of the Arenado pursuit. That's right. They utilize their veteran players. But you can't have players like if Yachty and Wayno decide if they said, yeah, we need Albert Pujols back and we need him to play first base because we think he's better than Goldschmidt. You don't do that. No. Right. So you, you have to draw a line between what the player wants and what the player gets. But if I'm a fan and I've been in this drama vortex this entire offseason with Aaron Rodgers and I actually listened to what he had to say yesterday, I'm fully on his side because all he's saying is I love Green Bay. I want to win here. I don't think the organization has done enough. This isn't about money to me. This is about putting the best possible team on the field in our quest to win. And I just want to be able to do my job to the best of my ability. So I think he won the press conference yesterday. He did from a fan emotion standpoint. But if you look at the the reason the Packers have not been to the Super Bowl since they went back, the majority of the reason it's him. Well, there was a, the a call that was made in the playoffs last year by his coach that a lot of people think might have contributed the, to them the, not the, winning. They would have tied the game, but they're never in that position if he doesn't throw the interceptions in the third and fourth quarters, right? There's a lot of things that contribute to wins yeah. and losses, but yeah. I, I think if you're looking at the pie of things that contribute to wins, Aaron Rodgers is a big piece of that pie. Yeah. Hey, we're going to give away some tickets to a Cardinals game coming up next week. We've got the the Bush bash coming up next week and your opportunity to win tickets and we're going to have a ticket game coming up at the bottom of the hour so we need you to text in 65780 with your name if you want to participate in the ticket game and you are going to actually be counting on me to succeed so good luck with that our olympic update is next on 101 espn we're right back to the character and smallman podcast on 101 espn character and smallman 2021 Summer Olympic Updates. All right, we're all over it here at 101 ESPN. Michelle, 
pretty good morning and a pretty good evening last night for the USA. That's right. Cardinals had a day game yesterday, so I think a lot of people locally were locked into the Olympics last night, and they saw a great one. Randy, Caleb Dressel, Olympic swimmer from the USA, he ends up winning the first Olympic gold medal of his career. He had an, an incredible two laps in the 100-meter freestyle. He beat defending champion Kyle Ch- Chalmers, excuse me, and he had an Olympic record yesterday, excuse me, 47.02 seconds. It was just a, a mere six hundredths of a second ahead of Chalmers, who got the silver. Here's what it sounded like last night. Dressel is having tough as we expected. And Caleb Dressel from the United States is going to win gold up there in lane five. He did it! Yes, sir! He beat Kyle Chalmers by six hundredths to snatch the goal away from the Aussie who was trying to make it back to back. It was unbelievable to watch this go down last night. And part of the reason why it was so exciting, not only did he break the record and not only did he win gold, but you got to watch Caleb Dressel's family in real time. Watch him win. You saw his parents, his wife. They were obviously emotional. And it was incredible because as soon as Caleb got out of the pool, while he was waiting to do the interview, he was watching the video back of his family watching him win gold. And he was overtaken with emotion as they tried to interview him. You reached the dream. How does it compare to to what you thought it would be? Um, I don't know if it should have set in yet. Um, right now, I'm just kind of hurt. Uh, but it's a really, it's a really tough year. Um, it's really hard. So to have the results show up, I mean, it, it really came together. So I'm happy. Can't even get the words out. So much emotion there, and. He's right. It was a really tough year for everyone. And think about these Olympians that had trained for four years prior Mm -hmm. in advance of the Olympics. And then it gets pushed back and you have to do it again for another year and not in the conditions that you're used to when things are closed down. And I know there's a lot of swimmers that were trying to find pools that they had access to during the pandemic. And it's it's a very isolating thing to begin with. And then you have all these other complications on top of it. So I can't imagine what that was like for not only him in that moment to realize that he had achieved his dream, Olympians sacrifice so much in their quest for the ultimate success, but so do their families. Right. And so for it was just such a very cool moment, kind of like a, an inception type moment for his family to watch him win and him get to watch his family watch him win. Yeah. Just a, a lot of pride and a lot of emotion. And especially because the family couldn't be there. And that's a comfort level for all of these athletes. And under normal circumstances, they would have been able, obviously, to be there. So when he walks over to uh, Michelle Tafoya and sees them on the screen, it was really a touching moment. It was. And the post-Michael Phelps era of U.S. swimming, and it's great to see them getting some medals. It was awesome to watch that last night. Oh, there's no transition here. I was waiting for some sort of transition. I'm so used to your killing me, Smalls. Next the medal. USA. Here we go. And we did get another medal this morning. If you don't want to know what it is and you want to watch later, earmuffs. But we're going to tell you right now. Suni Lee, Randy, she wins the gold in the all-around for the women's gymnastics. Get this. An American woman has won every Olympic all-around since 2004. So that means gold in 04, 08, 12, 16, and now 20 with Suni Lee taking home the gold medal in the women's all-around. And she obviously, like everybody else, 
two days ago was planning to battle for silver if they were being realistic because Simone Biles was going to win the gold in this event. So it's great to see her step up. We were all impressed by her here in St. Louis at the Olympic trials. And she's somebody now that can be the future of the sport. We wondered when Simone was gone, which of these young ladies was going to grab that mantle as the number one. And right now, as the world record, or not the world record, but the gold medal winner in the Olympics in the individual all around, that is, uh, she, she's the face right now of the, uh, at least this event. We'll see if Simone returns this weekend for the individual events. And they had an incredible story about Suni Lee and her family. Her dad was in a very bad accident when she was growing up and he was her biggest fan. He built a wooden beam in their yard that she would practice on and it was so cool for them to show the video of the beam that her dad built. It was a little shaky and she was like I can't believe I used to train on this. <laughs> wasn't very stable. Uh, but it, it was a great story behind her success and again I saw a bunch of clips on social media. I'm sure they're going to show it on TV later tonight of her family all getting together to watch her cel- win and celebrate. But you're right. It's amazing how things happen because hours ago, days ago, she thought that silver might be the best that she could possibly do, Mm -hmm. not thinking that Simone Biles wouldn't be in the mix. And here she is, a gold medal winner for the USA. And in golf, and uh, Justin Rose won the championship in 2016, but Sepp Straka has the lead and the U.S. team not doing very well. Straka is at eight under. The number one U.S. player right now is Patrick Reed at three under. Shoffley also at three under par. And then you've got Colin Morikawa at two under. By the way, Rory is also at two under. And uh, overall, the U.S. golfers not off to a great start. Would you like a medal count? I would. 38 medals overall for the U.S., followed by China, 31. And we're still behind in golds, right? We are. China has 15 goals. Japan has 15. U.S. 14. So trailing China and Japan in golds. But they have the most silvers with 14 and bronze with 10. All right. USA, USA. USA. That's your Olympic update with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, your opportunity to win Cardinal tickets with Carriker and Smallman. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Right now, three gentlemen have their chance to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for the Cardinals and Braves. Next Tuesday's Budweiser Bash features an exclusive Bohart bobblehead. Got to be 21 and over. Tickets courtesy of Budweiser and 101 ESPN. You can get all the details for next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash at cardinals.com slash promotions. But right now, Michelle and Emily are set to provide one of three guys an opportunity. And I'll try to chip in, by the way, to win Four Cardinal tickets for next week's game on Tuesday against the Braves. Michelle. That's right. So we did this yesterday where Emily played clips of various national anthems that you may hear played at the Olympics. I had to guess which country was which national anthem, Mm -hmm. belonged to which national anthem. I got five out of ten, by the way. Thank you very much. And so 
what we have is we have three listeners on the line, and we're going to play the same game. It's the same construct, except Randy's going to hear clips from famous sports movies, and he is going to have to determine which sports movie the quote is from. So we're going to welcome in all of our listeners, and they're going to guess how many of these quotes they think Randy can identify. So our first listener is Joe. Good morning, Joe. How you doing? Pretty good, Michelle. How's it going? We're doing great here. How many... Sports movie quotes, do you think Randy can get correct out of 10? Got faith in Randy. We're going eight. Eight. All right. I love that. Hang on the line, Joe. Our next listener is Steve. Steve, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? We're doing awesome. How many movie quotes do you think Randy can get correctly out of 10? Well, if it was sports quotes, it'd be 10 out of 10, but I'm going to go six. 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 All right. Thank you, Steve. Please hang on the line. And our final contestant today is Tyrone. Hello, Tyrone. How are you? I'm good. How are you this morning? We're doing awesome. How many sports movie quotes do you think Randy can get correct out of 10? Let's go with seven. Seven. Wow. A lot of confidence in you, Randy. Yeah. So Joe's lucky number is eight. Steve has six. Tyrone has seven. All right. Let's see. Maybe too much confidence. We'll see. Who gets it correct? Sports movie quote number one. What an incredible Cinderella story. This unknown comes out of nowhere to lead the pack. Bad Augusta. He's on his final hole. He's about 455 yards away. He's going to hit about a two iron, I think. Well, he got all of that. The crowd is standing on his feet here at Augusta. The normally reserved Augusta crowd. Going wild. For this young Cinderella who's come out of nowhere. He's One of the great scenes from that famous Academy Award winner, Caddyshack. Caddyshack. Is that correct, Emily? It is. It's probably the most famous line from Caddyshack, no? Cinderella story. That was one. Right. I would imagine if you know a movie quote from Caddyshack, it's yeah, right. that one. Beat uh, the ball, Danny. <laughs> so Randy is 1-0. and oh. Can we get sports movie quote number two? Forever. 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 Sandlot, right? Forever. Yeah. Is it, in fact, the Sandlot? Randy's 2-0. and oh. I'm cheering for myself. I'm cheering for you, too. Go, Randy, go. Uh, again, great, great sports movie there. One I would the be very movies. disappointed if you didn't get the Sandlot correct. Give us number three. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving is it forward. Creed? That's how winning is done. It's Rocky, obviously. Yeah, Rocky. Emily. There we go. It is Rocky. Randy's 3-0. and Number four on our sports movie, Quotes. Baseball is what gets inside you. It's what lights you up. You can't deny that. It just got too hard. It's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. The hard is what makes it great. Oh, 
it just got too hard. The hard is what makes it great. The hard is what makes it great. Okay, this is a tough one for me. Is it? This, yeah, it is. Oh, my gosh. I thought you nailed this one. Come on, Randy. You know this. The hard is what makes it great. The hard is what makes it great. I know I've seen it. Um, We're going to give you 10 more seconds. I'm, I'm going to, okay, I'll go with, uh, but I know it's not from, uh, heck, I, I don't even know. I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'll have to pass. I really don't know. I get a, a league of their own. The hard is what makes it. Okay, it was Tom Hanks. Dottie. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. My I, I initially wanted the movie quote from A League of Their Own to be, I'm singing for Nelson. <laughs> All right. The so hard is what makes it great. The hard is what makes it great. So Randy at three and I, one. Okay. Again, Steve guessed six, Tyrone seven, Joe eight. Okay, we'll pick it up here. Here give, we go. Give us number five. This is the most beautiful sight these eyes have ever seen. Uh, uh, Rudy. Emily. Correct. Rudy's dad. That's the best part yeah. of the entire movie is when his dad gets to go to Notre Dame and watch We all cried, play. didn't we? Ah, I'm sobbing at that point. Okay. All right. Next one. Let me help. Let me help. I can help. I can help. Let me help. What can you do? Well, you know, I mean, I may not be very tall, but I'm slow and large. And a dork. Oh, uh, Space Jam. Five and one. Randy is cruising. Next, Emily. You, Jerry Maguire. Complete me. Bingo, fire it. <laughs> Six and one, Emily. He is cruising. Next. Think you can win on talent alone, gentlemen? Miracle. You don't have enough talent to win on talent alone. All right, so. Randy is seven and one, which means Steve, who guessed six, is eliminated. Now, if he gets no more correct, Tyrone gets it. If he gets another one correct, Joe gets it. Emily, fire it. Now bend at the elbow. Good, good. And now rotate from the shoulder slowly. Did he say funky butt-loving? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I don't know what happened. Oh, what's the name of this? You know it. Come on. I do know it. What's the name I of this? I reference it all. Oh, I can't tell you. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. I know. Um, I, I wanted to help you along. I am sorry, Joe and Tyrone. Hold on. Um, Ten seconds. Hold on. Is it? I'm looking at the clock. Five seconds. What? Oh, pressure, pressure, pressure. Three Two. Ben Bears. One. It's Rookie of the Year. Okay. Henry Rowan Gardner. Henry, Henry Rowan Gardner. You do mention it all the year, all uh, the time. Yep. I do. So Randy is at seven and two. We come down to the final movie quote. Tyrone guessed seven. If Randy gets it incorrect, he takes home the tickets. If he gets it right, Joe, who guessed eight, walks away a winner. The suspense is palpable. Emily. Now, is there anyone here that can tell me why most alligators are abnormally aggressive? I know the answer to this question. Raise your hand. Anybody? Anyone? Yes or you, sir? The water boy. Mama says that alligators are ornery because they got all them teeth but no toothbrush. You are correct, which means that Joe was correct. He guessed 
correctly that you would get eight, right? You got eight out of ten. Way I to go, I choked on a league of their own, totally. You did. Though. You totally did. And rookie of the year. I thought you'd nail that one, too. But congratulations to Joe. He is walking away there with a four-pack of tickets. Good job, Randy. Eight of ten. That was awesome. Thank you. I should have gotten a nine. And the rookie of the year one, I just, I, my mind just hit a wall there for that one. But I'll take eight. 80% is not bad. That's a pretty good batting average. The hard is what makes it great. Yep. And, hey, if you want to know more about getting Cardinal tickets for next Tuesday, then just go to uh, cardinals.com slash pr- uh, promotions, right? Is that what I had? Something like that. <laughs> Hell, I don't know. Next up, <laughs> the trade deadline is tomorrow, and I suggested a trade that I would make. The question is, would you make it? Would you trade Nolan Gorman, Paul DeYoung, and any two Cardinal pitchers not named Matthew Libertor from their system, that this includes Johan Oviedo, for Max Scherzer, signed through the rest of this year, and Trey Turner, signed through the, ne- the uh, next year. Would you do that? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> All right, here's something that we kicked around earlier because we just love doing stuff like this. Mark DeRose is the best with uh, fun trades on MLB Network's uh, MLB Central. And this is something that will never happen because the Cardinals just aren't the type of team that does stuff like this. And it would have had to have started weeks ago. But if I were John Mosellock, I would have called up Mike Rizzo. And, or no, and if I'm Mike Rizzo, I might make the phone call if I can do it. So who says no? The Cardinals offer Nolan Gorman, Paul DeYoung, and any two young pitchers not named Matthew Libertor, whether it's Oviedo or whether it's Zach Thompson or whether it's uh, Angel Rondon, whoever. Any two guys from the organization that Washington wants in exchange for Max Scherzer, who's going to be a free agent after this year, and Trey Turner, who would be a free agent after next year. No guarantees that you keep Scherzer after this year or Turner after next year. But for next year, you've got a shortstop that can lead off and be a dynamic player at the top of your order and a great defender. You give yourself a great opportunity to have a great offense. And then hopefully... With $60 million coming off of the books this year because of Dexter Fowler, Matt Carpenter, Andrew Miller, Carlos Martinez, hopefully you can allocate some of that money to keep Scherzer and sign Turner to the long term. Who says no? I, Michelle, if I'm the Cardinals, I would do it. If, I, if I'm moonlighting as Mo and there's no guarantee that either one of them is going to stay long term and I'm looking at the position of my club right now and I know we're not likely a playoff team and I'm giving up young prospects, including Gorman, and I'm absorbing all of that money, I don't do it. And by the way, I'm looking at this as I've got Gorman, who's a terrific third baseman, but I've got Arenado for the next six or seven years. I'm hoping that he doesn't opt out, too. And I've got Jordan Walker on the way. Plus, I've got Malcolm Nunez, who's also a third baseman in the system. So I've got some depth, and that's one of the reasons I do it. So we want to get your take, yay or nay, on that deal. 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line. From the 618, I make that trade in a heartbeat. Hmm. Doesn't even think twice about it. Yeah, so you're essentially what you're doing is trading a, a what might be, or ver- what very well might be, because Gorman is a great prospect, 
for people that are right now, but the gamble, you're gambling either way. You're gambling that Gorman and the pitchers turn great, or you're gambling that you're able to keep Scherzer and Turner. From the 314, absolutely not. Two high-priced guys who are potentially rentals on a team that isn't that competitive. Yeah, and this is kind of a 2022 play for me because I do have Turner for next year. And I, I want to sign him long term, and I do want to sign Scherzer for a couple for a couple of years. From the three one four, I would take it because having million you have millions coming off the books after this year. Losing Gorman really stinks, though. It, it does, and they can use a third baseman. Uh, Carson Keyboom didn't work out for them; their third base prospect, and they need a third baseman in Washington, and they want to get younger. They've lost Steven Strasburg; his career might be over. How Scherzer, many times have we heard that, though? Yeah. Scherzer's not coming back. Corbin's been terrible. They they say the one guy that they aren't going to move is Juan Soto. So that's who they're building around and did not Trey Turner. And that's why this, this all came about is because multiple reports suggest that Trey Turner could be available, which and, shocks me. And your eyes lit up. I love like that Christmas idea. trees when you heard that. That's my guy. And so does the 314. They're right there with you, Randy. They say concerning that deal, I drag my I drag myself naked through a mile of glass to get Trey Turner. Okay, you're not going to look or feel great when you go to the game, but by the end of the game, after Trey Turner leads off, scores a couple of runs, makes a couple of great plays at shortstop, you're going to feel a lot better. Now you're going to incur a lot of cuts if you're naked, mm-hmm. and it's a mile long. Think about how long it's if you're long, being dragged for yeah. a mile through broken glass, you're going to get a lot of cuts, but those wounds heal. Michelle is Trey Turner. I don't know if I would go that far, though. And you don't even know if, you, if you're going to have him for a long time. Yeah, but having him for a year. You're going to have scars all over your body, and you might you only get what? him for a year. You may do two miles if you get the extension. 65780 to our friend in the 314. Would you go two miles naked through glass if you got the extension? I'm going to go ahead and assume it's a yes. Yeah, 36, Eight years and 240 mil. 30 million a year AAV. Through his age 36 season. Two miles, glass, you doing it? Sure. In the buff? Yep. All right. From the 314, hell yes on Turner. It's worth it by himself. He's proven you know what you're getting. Gorman is still a wishful thought, but without a guarantee. And the reason that I like this a lot is even if you pursue one of the free agent shortstops, whether it's Seager or Correa or Story or Baez or Brandon Crawford, none of those guys is a leadoff hitter. Turner gets on base. He plays defense, and he gets on base. He right now, in my opinion, for the Cardinals, is the perfect leadoff hitter. He would be great. Yeah. Fills a need, that's for sure. From the 314, absolutely not. The Cardinals have shown their lack of of depth this year in their pitching. They can't afford to give up two young pitchers for maybe we can sign them players. That's reasonable. I, I can see that. But you're keeping Libertor around. You're probably you're keeping multiple young guys around. And keep in mind, Michelle, that next year, and sure, it's a gamble. But even if you don't re-sign Scherzer, which I think you do, but you have Flaherty, Hudson, Reyes, Michaelis, hopefully KK, mm-hmm. maybe Wayno, and then one of the Libertor plus one of those guys that you don't trade available to you. And you should still probably. Check the market out for a free agent guy that doesn't cost an awful lot of money. That you, a depth guy. I want to get your take on this one from the six three six. I don't think Mo or his team know how to judge talent, so I like trades for proven talent. That's reasonable. If you look at what's happened 
with the talent that the Cardinals have traded away. And I, I don't blame the Cardinals at all for Luke Voigt. And maybe Luke Voigt was kind of a flash in the pan, even though it was a long flash in the pan. He did lead the American League in home runs last year. But when you look at some of the players the Cardinals have just let walk away, like Adolis Garcia specifically, it is alarming. Now, we did the feature or the, the segment the other day that the Cardinal outfielders right now, Bader and O'Neill, are much better than Randy or Rosarena. And Dylan Carlson and Rosarena offensively are virtually the same guy. So maybe we need to give Mo a little bit of a break on those guys. But there are a lot of guys around that the Cardinals have have not really evaluated particularly well. They knew what they were giving up in Sandy Alcantara. They, they were worried about him becoming great. They knew what they were giving up in Carson Kelly. They were worried about him. But there are other guys out there that the Cardinals have moved on from, Donovan Solano with the Giants, that they really didn't give a great opportunity to. But also, if you think that Moe's issue to the texter is that he gave away talent that was great, then why would you want him to give away more young prospects that have the potential to be great? Because you don't know what the evaluation process is. If you're questioning the evaluation, you're trading the might for the is. That's the, that's as simply as I can put it. And that's why I would do it, because I don't know. It could be that Nolan Gorman winds up being a Matt Carpenter type hitter. A current Matt Carpenter type hitter. I was going to say which version. Yeah, not the seven years ago Matt Carpenter type hitter. Final one from the 636. Give up the best of the farm for a max, pun intended, two years for Scherzer. No way. Come on, people. It's Max Scherzer. Can you imagine next year having a rotation with Scherzer, Flaherty, Hudson, Reyes? Wayno. Wayno? Wow. And even the rest of this year, how fun would it be to have Wayno and Scherzer on the same staff? And have them not make the playoffs? They would win 86. If you get Scherzer here and you get Flaherty back, and I think he should start Sunday, you win 86, 87 games. You might have a shot. For a, well, a wild card, probably not a great shot, but a shot. You better hope that the brew that yep. you better hope you win those games versus the Brewers. Yep. Thanks very much for your response and your interaction via the text line six five seven eight zero. Great job by our producer engineer today, Emily Butcher. Great work. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. Thanks, Randy. I'll see you tomorrow. Greg Amsinger wasn't with us today. Will be with us tomorrow. Also, Jay Delsing tomorrow and more. We appreciate you tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us. Until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. 
Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.